Hello and welcome to your mom's podcast, the only podcast that's worth walking out on a date with one of Degrassi's coolest girls. I'm Caroline. And I'm Avis. And today we're talking about Degrassi season two, episodes 21 and 22. Tears are not enough, parts one and two. Roses are red. Craig's dad wants another chance. And there's some low stakes shenanigans at the year end dance. Already struggling not to crack from the pressure of exams and the chaos of the Jeremiah household, Craig isn't quite sure what to do when his quasi-estranged father shows up looking to make amends. Craig decides to give him a shot, but wisely keeps his guard up. It isn't long before his dad shows he hasn't changed at all. Before Craig can take action to sever ties, Albert Manning severs ties with life after getting into a fatal car crash, and Craig must figure out how to navigate grieving his abuser. Also in this episode, Liberty is really gross with JT, and Paige wants to be crowned Blue Owl Queen. Um, so before we dive in, while not quite as intense as When Doves Cry, this episode is a continuation of the storyline with Craig and his abusive father, and this episode of Your Mom's Podcast will be discussing that. Um, so we're going to start with the B-plot so that you can listen without worry if that's content you don't wish to expose yourself to. Um, And from there, you know, we hope you'll join us next week. Season wrap-up, those are always fun. Absolutely, and lighter. And lighter. Lighter. Um, Although, I don't know, this season's pretty heavy. Yeah, this has been a, definitely been a season where I feel like we've been put through the ringer. Um, But I do, I... I don't know. I like, <clears throat> I think I said in a couple, um, a few episodes ago that sometimes I dislike how when there's something serious going on, they split from that seriousness to like, meanwhile, Joey sells his house. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it can be frustrating, I think, depending on what the subject matter is, but then also depending on what the subject matter is, it could be really refreshing to have some break from the, the intensity of that subject matter. And I think this is kind of one of these episodes where I'm like, okay, we have the B plot, the wackiness that is, you know, Liberty's culmination, uh, like a culmination of Liberty's like crush on JT. And even though, you know, he doesn't like her back yet there. Well, spoiler alert. There is a no more of like the, I'm not even going to be in the same room with you. Or I'm not even going to be able to like, I'm not even like I don't want to be in your proximity you're so gross like there's a new sort of okay tolerance even though it was a quid pro quo situation I Mm -hmm. still think that you know Liberty's won in a very like you know if we're going milestone sort of way but it's definitely pretty predatory (laughs) yeah well I do I found it interesting like you know, we don't really see a lot. We see like them cheersing their coconut drinks at the dance, but they look like they're having a good time. But yeah, no. So the premise yeah. is that JT needs a tutor. Liberty's like, yeah, I'll be your tutor, but you have to be my date to the dance. And then he's thinking about like, he passes his test and he's like, maybe I'll just ask Paige anyway. Like, what's Liberty going to do? Yeah, and Liberty comes up as he's asking her, so he thinks better of it and goes with Liberty. Um, and yeah, it's predatory and gross. I feel like if Liberty were a boy character, we would identify that more easily. Oh, totally. And I think it's because 
Liberty is also like the character who she is. Like we, I think in a way in this situation, there's more of a like sympathy towards Liberty than that maybe hasn't been present before mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, he, they presented it too. is like, he tries to cheat off of her in the beginning of the episode. And it's clear that, you know, she knows that he needs her help. Um, but he doesn't, he would rather just cheat off of her rather than getting legitimate help. And the fact that she offers it to him to get to, you know, to bait him a little bit is definitely gross. But I think the way that they approach it is trying to like give us sympathy towards Liberty and like, oh, okay. You know, she was, she was basically being nice to him because he, even though he was trying to cheat off of her, um, and you I know, think that and I, setup is because she's a girl. <laughs> I think it probably worked on me when I was in middle school. Like, I don't remember watching this B-plot as a kid. You know, there are certain episodes where you're like, I remember where I was. Yeah, definitely. This is not. This and I mean, this not... B-plot is not it. Because, like, I remember this episode because it was very. Right. No, I remember right, this but episode. Not, but not this part of this episode because it's so. It's just not, it doesn't really land for some reason. And I think maybe the second part of this episode lands a little bit better, the B plot. Mm -hmm. But like, I do like that we get a little bit of a a opportunity to just like talk about the fact that some storylines with a girl and some storylines with a boy, even though they're the same storyline, they're going to play them differently because they want us to feel a certain way about the character. Although isn't that like, now that I'm thinking about it, isn't that basically the premise of like love don't cost a thing yeah i love so i love both of the versions even though i haven't seen can't buy me love too many times the eight like there's the 80s <laughs> version of it and then there's the version with nick cannon and christina million which i was obsessed with because i'm gay for christina million so <laughs> wasn't watching husband. it <laughs> he has her whole He's discography beautiful. oh yeah Oh yeah, she right. She's a very prolific uh, singer um, too. <laughs> but li- literally, like the fact that I watched that movie so much, I'm like, I wasn't watching it for Nick Cannon. But uh, yeah, it's like she crashes her car, and he's like, uh, has this money saved up to buy a part that he needs for a scholarship. And he spends it all on her to get her car fixed before her mom gets home and discovers that she drove the car without permission. And in exchange, she is going to play as his girlfriend for a week in hopes to make him popular. And then over the course of the week, she falls in love with him and he starts to become a pompous asshole. And, you know, it's it's so a similar guess, sort of I guess sort when we dynamic. tell the story with a boy and it's Patrick De- Dempsey or Nick Cannon we or Nick Cannon right we still yeah I, it, it's not a trope that I love it's not no it's it, it leaves all of us feeling slightly like gross for having enjoyed any part of it right it's the because same because it was like, so coerced how relentless Liberty is in her pursuit of JT for you know, several seasons mm-hmm. is like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it, it's like how we're supposed to think the notebook is romantic. Right. We are. And it's not the fact that literally that man lays in the street. Right. To like, like I don't know up if you don't blah, blah, blah. like if you don't the first time he meets her he's like go on a date with me or i'll kill myself like 
romance, guys. This is goals. Like, this is no. Just for that one Wouldn't scene. Wouldn't be thinking it was romantic if it was Steve Buscemi instead of Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and it was still, literally, he had like one like one haircut or something and his face looks funny so i'm like you know what you're bordering you're borderline on a on a heartthrob of or a leading man of a film you know it's funny i actually have never paid that much attention to ryan gosling or cared that much for ryan gosling because of the notebook yeah um but then he played ken and he has completely redeemed himself in my eyes I'm telling you that Gay man deserves Ken. <laughs> that man deserves a um, a gra- Grammy just for the way that he says "granted" when he's singing that Matchbox Twenty so- song. It's so good for me. I always get those two guys confused, and I only ever differentiate the two between okay, Ryan Reynolds is the one who's you know married to Blake Lively. Bless him, he is the luckiest Ryan of them all. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason I know the difference. But, um, yeah, like, it's a pretty, you know, the the B-plot of the first part of Tears Are Not Enough, you know, it just really does kind of center around uh, how JT's uncomfortable at being coerced into this arrangement with Liberty because he wants to ask um, Paige to the Hawaiian Well, and even dance. if he didn't want to ask Paige, he, he, doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't want right. to. Right, true. It's, I believe just, you mean the Hawaiian surf paradise. Heather Sinclair's title, not mine. Um, <laughs> Whatever. Uh, literally, I feel like it's right. It's not. A, it doesn't have to. It just kind of lines up with those circumstances of him wanting to ask Paige, and he's very delusional at thinking he has a shot at that. But it's um, it's also in general just creepy. Doesn't matter what it, you know. It could just it's creepy uh but liberty somehow gets you know the luckiest she's the luckiest eighth grader because Paige michael chuck is gonna help her with her outfit after jt fumbles the ball <laughs> why why is this dance grade seven through eleven I, I know don't like that i don't it's a little weird i don't feel like like, from the point of view of a high schooler, I don't want middle schoolers at my dance. From the point of view of, like, a parent, Literally, which I know I'm not one, I don't want my middle schooler at a high school dance. At a high school dance. Also, I mean, give there me was, yeah. one second. I gotta let my dog out of my bedroom because he's being a little bitch. I was thinking about how when I was in high school, you know, like, stuff, like, pre-gaming started to be a thing around like 10th 11th grade you know I can say in ninth grade like I didn't really drink at all in high school I was pretty like I was a theater kid I smoked some weed a little bit but I didn't really do other things and like I drank maybe a handful of times and it wasn't until I was like basically 11th 12th grade that's when it was really like high um but I feel like a lot of the like every year of development is very crucial to the things that kids should be exposed to. And I feel like once you're past, I just think it's too much of a, like, 
age disparity, basically. I think it's like unfair to, and I really think it's just because of the, like they kind of wrote themselves into a corner with that, where they had to kind of honor what they set forth is, okay, the reason that we still have these eighth graders here is because there's seventh and eighth grade at this school. Next year, spoiler alert, that whole concept will be gone. No, I love, I <laughs> isn't because I looked into oh the Kendra thing yeah I looked into Kendra and um she sticks around until like 322 and she would only be in eighth grade yeah yeah because I was looking to see if like we needed to black hole her today Oh, okay. See, because like I felt like that concept was dropped so quickly, and I guess they only keep it because of Kendra. There's no other reason for them to keep it. And I uh, don't know what Kendra even does in season three. She's still Toby's so, like, girlfriend in season three. Right, but they like don't have that whole pregnancy storyline that they were supposed to have. Yeah, so I don't. I don't. I don't really know what she does other than that. But okay, I, I couldn't um, tell you. Yeah, right. Like I don't know. I think probably nothing but uh yeah so the that's the b plot for you know for part one on. yeah and i mean it really doesn't it, it really just results in you know uh, toby does pop in there to tell jt that he can't dump he can't use liberty to to get a good grade and then dump her to go out with Paige or just to just dump her period he's like that's shitty which i don't know if i I don't know. I mean, I think that would probably be within his character if he if he wanted to do that. Um, but, I don't yeah. think it's sh- so. I like. I think it's shitty in the whole like going back on your word, but also I yeah. think that it was shittier to yeah to back someone into a corner where you know they're trying to pass the grade, right? And, and you know they're desperate. Um. It's pretty much like Liberty knows that JT doesn't really have other options. So she knows that this is going to be like something that he has no choice to do because if she's not letting him cheat and <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's still gross. It's still All gross. Around. It's not, but it's not Liberty's best moment. It's not, but it definitely sets up how, you know, it'll go forth that she does have kind of proximity to him now she's within the the friendliness of you know his circle Mm -hmm. like she's no longer on the outskirts he's no longer like making fun of her fun of her they still have their moments but there there's a new leaf turned for some reason at this um i think (laughs) and i mean just the hanging out with each other between the banksy episode Mm -hmm. and um fun enough for you but between liberty's petty vandalism and then the sewing episode i feel like they've reached like some common ground and some understanding and what have you and like i don't know it's cute that they're like kind of being friends it's creepy that liberty is like the circumstances right how they got there is weird but yeah it is still I, you know, I, I don't, I think if we're, we're going to have to start getting into what they call ships and in any fandom ever, there's a ship. I don't care what you, there's ships on the little house on the prairie. Okay. 
I there there's right like there's everything so there's a ship on everything so in this show in particular I feel like every teen drama like there's a plethora of ships but th- this show has so many extended characters and such a large cast that there's so many times that we're, we're gonna have to just track all the ships but I think it kind of starts now where we have characters getting into long-standing relationships right about now that we are going to have to weigh in on yeah and if you did not know Liberty and JT are one of them. So <laughs> tracking their beginnings is kind of, it kind of helps, you know, like if you pay attention to them, you get a lot of their dynamic and their issues once they are together and they are, you know, right. I think the road's a little bumpy, but they will be together soon. So the, it, it was, it, this is one of their pre getting together kind of arcs. Moments. Yeah. And so I, I guess the, pow- the message here is be persistent, use blackmail, and eventually <laughs> you'll land the love of your life. Mm-hmm. Just throw off the power dynamic a little bit, you know, just just to strip them of their power so they have no reason to or no stripping a- ability of their power <laughs> and consent and auto- autonomy is feminist as fuck. Um, in case it wasn't clear, mm-hmm. that was a joke. <laughs> For legal reasons, that was a joke. No, not even. That's what you say when it's not. When it is not a joke, I know. I just really wanted to say that. I I get that. that. I I thought about saying it too. Um. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's. I mean, that's pretty much the. I I really don't think that there's any other kind of highlights of the B plot because it's. So on to B plot two, Electric Boogaloo. B plot two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, and I mean this one's a little bit better. I do think it's funny that we have grade nines vying for the crown, all for different reasons. Um, I mean, stemming well, two of them stemming off of one reason. But Paige wants the crown, the the luau king and queen crown. And her plan is actually really smart. If they're the only grade nine couple. It's and the natural. grade sevens and eights have a vote too because we're letting the middle schoolers come to this high school dance because and be the majority of this high school dance, right? Assuming that these high school classes are, I mean, because well, they're not the majority because because I would assume like she's got to get the grade nines too with the grade nine, nine and the two middle school classes. So you're thinking got... the seventh and eighths would vote together. And then the ninth and tenth, the ninth. Well, no, she thinks the between... ninth would also vote with her. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was saying too. So, so she has a majority, but the middle schoolers don't have a majority. They just give the freshmen a majority. Right. They don't. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I think I guess I get what you meant by what you're interpreting by what I said. That's As, not what and I meant. And you know what? Especially <laughs> in a school like Degrassi. I would not let my middle schooler attend a high school dance. Yeah, All the shit I mean, that goes down at that school. Gonorrhea of the throat. Mm-hmm. It's very much like, like I don't think anybody thought that through. Like the what? When is that okay? When is that allowable? I know middle schools out here that like are only three years because they're like we don't want to contaminate these kids. And then I know oh, middle like, school we where I grew up was them. only two years. It was only seventh and eighth. And then I've also heard of the other spectrum where kids are in middle school for five years. And then they don't go to high school until 10th grade. See, that's weird. My school district had like K through three, 
was a mm-hmm. school or one of three schools. Mm-hmm. And then four through six was one of three schools. Mm-hmm. Seventh and eighth was one of three schools. And then high school was one of three schools. Yeah. So you guys just kind of, I mean, you kind of did similar things with the, I mean, it's the same sort of ideology of trying to separate these right. age groups, but just in different schools versus trying to keep them longer to get like before the high school period, because there are some people that think that elementary school needs to be longer. And there are some people that think middle school needs to be longer. I mean, I don't, I think the system that it changed a little bit when I went to school, but it used to be fifth grade was still in elementary school and you did sixth through eighth and then you went to high school ninth through 12th but then they changed it the year that I went to middle school I was already I was still in private school but then when I went to sixth grade they put the fifth graders in the element in uh, middle school with the other middle schoolers so it was because the middle schools had more room in my district but I kind of think fifth through eighth makes a little bit of sense and then more sense than <clears throat> more sense than what fucking Degrassi's doing. Yeah. Cause I mean, you have to consider that fifth and eighth, like a fifth grade is like 10 years old, nine to 10 mm-hmm. and eighth grade. You're the max that you're going to be is 14. That's an older eighth grader. Right. You know, you might turn 14 at some point in that year. I was still 13 in ninth grade. So I'm a little bit young, but like a 10 year old and a 13 year old or a 14 year old are going to have more in common than a 12 year old and a 17 18 year old like there is just such a big age and i've seen disparity that like (laughs) kind of like mentor program where like a fourth grade class will like link up with like a 10th grade class and each kid in the fourth grade class has like a 10th grade mentor and once a month like they get together or whatever and Mm -hmm. i think there's definitely like value in that i you know, my school was 60 students ages five and up, you know, and we didn't mm-hmm. separate by ages. And then working so long in the restaurant industry, like you have friends across a wide age spectrum. And I yeah. think that there is definitely like value in intergenerational like friendship. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that middle schoolers should be at a high school dance. I agree with that. I think there's two. I mean, we, we've we already just established the things that have happened at Degrassi dances, and this is no exception. <laughs> like, I guess um, gonorrhea of the throat didn't happen at a dance, but I'm just saying at that school, there's always some school. shit going down. Yeah, there, <clears throat> there truly is. And I mean, just because it's not sexual doesn't mean it's not like some... And I, I mean, there's some, there's some bullshit going on in, in this... <laughs> At this dance too, just different types of. Bull- there's never a dull moment. If there's a Degrassi dance, it's like you should bet that there's something's going to something's, go something's coming to a head. Yeah, but Emma um, Nelson came to a head at a Degrassi dance. Oh my gosh. Um, you know what? Fuck everybody, including Shane Kippel, friend of the pad. I say Degrassi. My friend group said Degrassi. I'm not going to try and say Degrassi. Shane, you heard it here first. She said, boink you. No, I didn't. Fuck I you. said, fuck you. Um, no, thank you so here. much for coming on the show. We adore you. We love you, Shane. But um, but so we've for- totally lost the plot. 
Yeah, so for this B-plot, I mean, essentially, like you said, the ninth graders are, well, at least Paige and Spinner are vying for the crown. And then Jimmy and Spinner are, if you forgot, Jimmy is still pissed off. I mean, rightfully so. Rightfully that his so. best friend stole from him and then tried to return it and act like nothing happened. <laughs> right. And so he's still trying to, like, he's picking on Spinner, you know, for various reasons, but then he realizes, oh, you have, there's something that I can take from you. Let me do it. And it's this crown. And I mean, I think that he realizes, oh, it's important to Paige. So it's going to be important to Spinner because Spinner is like really, he's puppy dog eyes. He loves Paige. Um, so Spinner, um, Jimmy is angered so much by Spinner. So he goes to Hazel to kind of recruit her into running against Paige for the crown. And I mean, Hazel just seems so disinterested. Hazel just, it like, it didn't really occur to her. Like she doesn't really care. (laughs) Like, like, it's not like he gave her the idea. I think he thought like, oh, let me put this idea in her head and make her think it's her idea. But like, I don't think that she, I, I think that she has a working brain. And I, oh, think I don't think he even really did that. I think he flat out was like, I want to beat Spinner at this. So let's oh, do well, it. Oh, yeah. Like, but right. But like, he's like, oh, don't, you know, aren't you tired of being in Paige's shadow? Don't you want to blah, 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 like stuff like that. Like, he's just trying to like mentally get her on board for this because it's like, she doesn't, she, even when he's like, oh, do you have a date for the dance? Well, you do now. She's like, um, okay. Like, she doesn't care <laughs> she's so like neutral about the whole thing and then right like when he is trying to to put that idea that you know being second fiddle to Paige isn't what she needs to do she needs to try to win this crown because she can rise up and be a queen be herself and Hazel's just like okay like I'm gonna go back to doing what I'm doing now like it's Definitely, I think she just goes along with it because what else is she doing? And she didn't have a date anyway. But I really don't think that she cares. No. (laughs) No, she's because she's the perfect fucking token brown best friend. Right. Like, I think that they just didn't want to spend any time, like deciding how she felt about it so they like they didn't want to give her any more lines to oh i don't know how i feel about this maybe i do want to rise Look, up against there's Paige. a lot going on in this episode they don't have time to waste they, they don't have time to hazel. unpack hazel's reaction or there's a lot going on this. in this entire series and they are never going to have time to ever to get into give what's going on with hazel whatever's going on with hazel hmm i don't know sure like she seems in distaste at times but then Spoiler also alert like her boyfriend gets shot and we barely get her reaction yeah yeah um, justice for occurs. andrea lewis god damn it can i get no, that actually shirt no, truly. We should because we've said it so many times. Right. Um, but I really feel like it's just like, right, like they just didn't, they couldn't fucking care. They don't, they couldn't bother. So we don't know how Hazel feels. We just know that she's on board, I guess. And <laughs> she's there. She's wearing the matching outfit, whatever. And, you know, they do tack in Paige and Spinner wanting to, because Paige mentions offhand that she went to the tanning salon and isn't doesn't she look great and she's going back 
And obviously that means that she's just going to burn the shit out of herself. Like anybody who knows anything about any sort of plot structure, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's like Chekhov's <laughs> tanning bed. If somebody tans, it's going to go badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she corrals Spinner into this. So they go to the most like stock back like like this looks like somebody's set dressing version of a tanning salon it doesn't look like a real tanning salon <laughs> it's very bad but yeah um, have you been to many tanning salons avis i have unfortunately there was a i mean so in my area there was a lot of and I, i'm so happy when they phased that out but like tanning was a big deal so when you would go get your nails done there were tanning beds in the nail salons and i think that they're still are i know i mean they're they're allowed to do combo services so yeah where i live they uh where i lived they could do you know your waxing they could do um aromatherapy they could they had their hustle in there under one roof you know they kind of did massages they did whatever you needed so um there was I mean, also tanning. Nice. it was it was one-stop shopping so there was uh, always the room that they now repurposed to do other things because tanning is just not as popular as it was. But in the aughts, whenever I would go get my nails done, yes, there was many a tanning bed. And I was always curious about them, especially after I saw Final Destination 3. <laughs> I see. I never tanned. It traumatized me, oh, even God. though I've never tanned in my life. <laughs> I never tanned because like the beds freaked me out. And then. Fair. <laughs> like seven eight years ago planet fitness moved to my town and i got a membership mm-hmm. and i tanned exactly one time because they have the stand-up ones and i was like i can deal with that okay i tanned for three minutes and i burned. <laughs> oh i burned so bad three yeah. minutes um i'm aggressively white <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, th- I forget where I saw that. I think it probably was on, like, at a toddler's and Tierra's face. I feel like a lot of people did, especially when it was airing, because you just didn't know how horrible it was. Um, you did know how horrible it was, but that was the appeal. Yeah. It was like a peek into a world you just never realized. Like, other than John Bonet Ramsey, right. like, we don't really know, like, America didn't really know about toddler beauty pageants it wasn't a thing so they always tanned those babies there was either a spray tan there was a spray tan of those babies but then there were a couple that were like a little bit older so they did go in the beds and I remember someone saying oh asking oh have you ever tanned black people and they were like yeah all the time like you actually don't even know how many black people just want to get darker and I'm like okay that's kind of relatable because if you don't know um I realize we are kind of you know, like pastas, pastas. So you might not know that I am black. I don't know if that's a thing <laughs> that wasn't apparent. I hope it was, but I don't know. I don't know what your assumptions are, but so I- We are not actually anthropomorphic pastas. pastas. <laughs> we are. Unfortunately. We're not. Goddamn, Avis, you're already a snack, but- Oh, thank you. You are a snack as well. Aww, I I love liar. this. I'm not a good liar. First of all, I'm not a good liar. <laughs> let's, let's start there. I'm a bad liar. Everybody knows why I'm lying. Um, but I would. I feel like ev- there was like pressure at the, like a point to like tan a little bit because I'm like a little bit light skinned. 
and mm-hmm. in the in the winter time I get pretty like as pale as I get I get kind of I get pale you know there's yeah. there's no sun exposure I lose about two shades and if I were to ever tan it would most likely be in the winter because I do get pale enough to like look a little ghastly <laughs> I mean my my best friend at cult school was black and like we never went to the tanning salon, but we would tan out in her backyard all the time. Yes. Yes. I would definitely lay out. And I think it's definitely something I had to embrace because when I was younger, I think there was just a little bit more of an environment where it's like, oh, getting past a certain shade. But now I love getting darker. And I definitely, in, in like college, I would lay out in my yard on the great, like the um, storm doors and in PA, we have storm doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would spread a towel over it because it got such great sun and I would be uncomfortable and just get the great sun and kind of like the, so that I could hand a little bit. <laughs> I See, I have to, I have to be careful with the sun because I cannot stress enough how, how very white I am. Like back when we all still thought that dream matte mousse was an acceptable foundation. Oh. Um, my color was called light pale and it was too dark <laughs> for me. Um, and there oh, you have my. it. We are not pastas. <laughs> we are not. And um, you know, Spinner also shares our aversion to tanning beds. And I don't think that final destination three had even come out yet. So Mm-mm. he's ahead of his time. He, Start screaming so bad. It's amazing. He's like, I want to go. Like, I want to be like, Shane, can you tell us about this scene? Right. Like, please. I feel like it's so, like, a good question. Like, are you actually afraid of tanning beds? Because you just, I think that that's such a fear that we don't discuss enough as a society. How, because I was just talking about it last night. Actually, I went to Six Flags Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. to celebrate a friend's birthday and they had coffins in like the square near the big fountain they made the fountain bloody it was awesome it reminded me of the shining um and a bunch of people were client you know it was there for a photo op there were like four coffins that you could jump in and out there were wooden coffins and they were just there for people to hop in and out and and be silly and goofy and i was walking past them and i was i just made a comment like i've never wanted to get in a coffin in my whole life like i'll get in a coffin when i'm dead but and i won't know (laughs) right (laughs) like and like like a tanning bed just seems like a coffin and they look kind of like coffins and then i think about i mean obviously this when watching the scene for the first time i had not seen final destination three yet because it hadn't been made yet but they in that movie they do transition from the t- like two people dying in the tanning bed to to like um duplicate coffins like it's well not duplicate side by side coffins and it's such a cool shot like it's just a transition of them burning in flame in their tanning beds and they look very much like coffins and then they just fade into their actual coffins and it's pretty morbid but that's always what they've looked like like even (laughs) dude the final destination franchise is very very heavily responsible for the overabundance of caution with which i live my life i was talking to somebody at dinner with friends last night and i mentioned like i've never i've always been like one i'm squeamish with like cuts and things Mm -hmm. and two I'm very averse to pain and so 
I've always been really scared of injuring myself. And so I just kind of don't. Um, like I've never had, I've never broken a bone. I fractured my wrist once and I've sprained my ankles plenty. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, but like, like I'm super scared of falling and I live in Vermont Mm -hmm. where like six, seven, eight months out of the year, the ground is perfect for falling. And so I'm really good at almost falling, but not. Um, Yeah, definitely. Especially now that I'm getting old, you can't afford to fall after like 30 Seriously, like I was taking up roller skating. I still have my roller skates and I will skate, but I don't skate outside anymore because I literally was skating around where I used to live and very pretty flat. Like it wasn't like very little incline or anything and there was no hills going down the other way. So I felt pretty secure. When I tell you my my fucking wheel hit a pebble, a pebble, and I you and I know about pebbles. They can take you out. This pebble caught me completely off guard, and I fell in a good way on my hip. But I, when I tell you, my my hip is still a little bruised from that, <laughs> and it's no, been a year. No and I'm like, you know what? I have to hang up the skates for outside. They're inside. I I, I need to go on a wax floor because if you do this. <laughs> And you, like you, if you didn't know how to, like, I feel like learning how to fall is so important, but like, I am so afraid of like, like you said, breaking anything, knock on wood. Breathing, I haven't, bro- I've never broke, I've never broken anything. Fucking, I have, anything I've literally knees, sprained my ankle. Out. Yeah, it does to me too. It's um, like, any, listeners, like, if, man. You're, if you're old enough that you were watching Degrassi, the next generation, the first time it aired. Um, you should be doing some sort of stretching or yoga like every day. Get you a, a yoga, um, a, like a one of those rolls to like crack your back or like a chirp wheel. Make sure you're like doing stretch, like, you know, like also, Caroline said, you need to stretch. We were talking about it um, beforehand. A TENS unit is a worthy investment. Um, mm-hmm. I I am currently like fighting headaches from a neck and shoulder injury that I got trying to open a door. I don't mm. want to talk about it. It's the dumbest <laughs> way that anybody ever injured themselves. It's it's so bad when it's like dumb shit and it's like, damn it, now I'm fucked up. Now this oh, is I pulled like, something. This was like five years ago and I've just got That's like chronic pain from it. You just got chronic pain. I have such a big head. I was in a car accident and my head like, sm- and like I was in an old ass car. So it wasn't like my car, like my car absorbed everything. If you've ever been in a car older than like, I'm going to say most models retired that metal in like 2002. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be generous and say that because I feel like a lot of cars just started to get that bendy metal, right? Like around 2004 or so. Nah, you, you, it is an older car, but you've got like a car that has like modern, like metal, like older cars. They had that metal that you can like get in a fender bender and nothing will really be bent. (laughs) My first car, (laughs) my first car was a 91, like Volvo sedan, a Volvo 740E to be exact. She was pink (laughs) and her name was Dolores. I fucking love that car. And it was like a fucking tank. Mm -hmm, I was a nanny for a while when I had it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so glad that I had that car because I felt so safe driving somebody else's kid in that car. I was like, unless we like go off a fucking cliff and we live in Indiana. So there aren't any of those. Mm 
or like head to head with a semi, we're going to be fine. Yeah. I felt that way in my Volkswagen. He was a Volkswagen um, Cabrio Hunter Green. Um, and he had a drop, a rag top, drop top. And I had a, I was a nanny as well. And the little boy loved riding in the back in his little booster seat. And <laughs> at seven o'clock on the dot in his drop top. In his drop top. <laughs> yes. He was cruising the streets. That young man. Yeah. I think it definitely like, I mean, older cars, like I definitely walked away from just like, just getting a little bit of like whiplash and like, so, like saw some soft tissue damage. Not really. I did go see a chiropractor, but like my car absorbed all of that. And mm. I, I attributed a hundred percent to it being a 2001. And I don't, I didn't realize how much it was such a good, like it was still made very well until I saw how banged up it was and it still started. The only reason I didn't carry on driving that car is because I couldn't close one of the doors. It still started and drove. (laughs) Honestly, like I finally had to like put my Volvo to rest and sell her to some juggalos for like 200 bucks because I could (laughs) not afford to maintain absolutely an old european car but now that i'm in a like more financially stable point in my life like Mm -hmm. if i could find in decent condition like a 90s volvo or volkswagen i would buy it in a fucking heartbeat because i know that and like i've got a friend whose dad is a volvo mechanic like i would be like yeah nope this is my car yeah those it's like good to have you have to have one of those mechanics who knows because a lot of people will fuck around and fuck your shit up if they don't know about those kind of cars like taking them to a specialist is usually like not any pricier I mean at least in the area I was in and I like I did have a specialist around me and they saved me from like you know paying twice as much for everything because people didn't know what they were doing with the car so that's definitely like it's keeping it's upkeeping but like they're really good cars and i i do miss my car i miss my i miss brocky dolores um, was the best car i've ever had (laughs) she was like this like dusty rose pink but metallic-y oh that sounds really nice and she's beautiful loved that car um anyway so this is uh nostalgia for first cars right right um we need charlie here to like make up the podcast names i was just listening to the shane episode today in case that wasn't evident um (laughs) so yeah so spinner pisses jimmy off and jimmy's like fuck you i'm gonna run for luau king and then Mm -hmm. Paige and spinner go tanning spinner has to spray tan because he's afraid of the tanning bed because mm-hmm. he had a vision of Final Destination 3. Right. He's like, damn it. Um, they're, like, they're coming from the future to warn me about this bullshit. And Paige gets burnt. Spinner is orange. They're mean to mm-hmm. each other, some at the dance. And then some Craig shit happens. And they end up yeah, being like, Craig and what happens, assholes yeah. we are worrying about this shit when other people yeah. have real problems. Which on real one hand, problems. I get. And also on the other hand... I think we need to break that mindset because mm-hmm. like, I, I definitely think it's it's like you're not allowed to be tired because someone you work 12 hours, someone worked 14, right. you're not allowed to be tired. You're totally allowed to be tired. Right. Like there, it's like, you know, it's not the equation Olympics. You know, we can't, 
do that to ourselves. And like, certainly, yes, there are things that are objectively worse than others. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't be unhappy about things that are objectively not as bad. Like, there is one person on the planet who is having the worst day of everybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean yeah. that none of the rest of us can complain about our bad day. The best thing, like, the thing that helped me um, reframe that was I saw a post once that said, you know, when something good happens to you, do you celebrate or do you say, well, other people have it better? And if your successes are valid, your frustrations and your heartbreaks and your whatever the fuck else is valid too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the long and short of the B plots. Yeah. I mean, they're, they definitely, uh, you know, I think in their kid way, they learn their, they feel like they learn their lesson because they're, you know, able to level with each other and, you know, look at each other and like, we're all friends. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure like we come into season three and Jimmy and Spinner are all right again. And, you know, right. I think that there was common ground reached here, but you know, yeah, I think that we're willing, uh, willing, I think that we're ready. And I think that's a good segue to kind of get into what happens with Craig this and episode so, and the, you know, so ag- yeah. Again, um, this episode deals with child abuse. And if you don't want to subject yourself to that content, we'll see you next to, week. You know? Yeah, y'all. Cause I think that like a big thing is that we don't want you to feel uncomfortable listening to your mom's podcast. We want you to feel like you're having a good time. So if this is not something that's going to make you have a good time, well, obviously it won't, but you know what I mean. If there's, if it's going to make you have a bad time, if it's going to make you have a bad time, please skip it. And we will have such a fun show for you next week. Um, yeah, I definitely take the time to sit out now and, and we love you and we'll see you next time. Yeah. So something I was thinking about when you were talking about how sometimes like the transition from a plot to B plot in a really heavy episode Mm-hmm. was that the first time that my first watch through of this episode um it was really jarring for me to go from that tense ass scene with Craig's dad outside of the school to yeah. whatever it takes yeah. uh, uh, um Say, <laughs> absolutely it's like oh okay y'all <laughs> my poor husband Cause I don't ever skip the theme song, at least not on like the first watch through. Uh, I I feel like we're so. It's funny because I definitely will skip the theme song if I'm in I a sometimes hurry. Sometimes watch it right. Usually I'm like trying to make efficiency of my watches because I wanted like I was my goal was to watch three times, and I'm like some episodes I just simply can't watch three times. Um, the more dull episodes I feel like I watch three times because I'm like, damn it, I zone out on those things. Right. But Plus no, you've got to like uh, search yeah. for content for the show when you know the plot is. Mm-hmm. You know, Emma hates GM foods. Jeez. Yeah, but the, I mean, I feel like for all of what the show knows, it is. It's like they know that there's no good way to smack you with this bright ass theme, this, this, this fucking hopeful ass theme song. There's no good way. <laughs> so Not let's in just this episode, do it. So let's just do it. Let's 
do it. So so the episode yeah. comes in hot with uh, Craig's walking out of school with Ashley and Sean. And who shows up? His fucking dad. Yeah. It's like, hey, bitches. Um, oh, and Ashley's seen the last of me. Ashley's dumbass is like, hi, I'm Ashley Kerwin. And she proceeds to annoy me so much in this episode. So much. Thank you. It's so bad. Like, so for me, like, it's, yeah, that was like one of my first observations. It's like, okay, I just have a question, Ashley. I have a question, Ashley. When, you know, even if at the beginning of this scene you had no idea, Craig which, literally which it says, seems like she didn't, and that's which it fine. seems like she didn't, which is fine. Craig literally says, she's like, oh, he seems nice. And he responds to her. It's not like he says it under his breath in some dramatic way. You know, some shows they want to act like characters don't have ears and they whisper to themselves or they say it to themselves and no one else is supposed to hear. Not one of those times. He literally responds to Ashley and says, yeah, when he's not holding a belt. Right. So Ashley encouraging him. Okay, well, Ashley, here's the thing is Ashley has researched rape, but she has yet to research child abuse. And she so she doesn't know about it. Fire up her fucking computer, Caroline. I He's agree. Pissing I agree. Me off. Her research topics are so fucking stunted. Like, you're just going to research rape like twice. And the and Spanish then... Civil War. And the Sp- <laughs> fucking, fucking and Ashley. Like, and, right. And like, I'm... and no, and nothing else. Like she pisses me off because it's just for me. I think reading this, reading the room, mm-hmm. is not something that you have to be twenty something, thirty something, forty something years old for. Like you can just read the room as a teenager right. and realize that there's some heavy shit going on. Look at Craig's face. Craig looks like he's seen a fucking ghost. Right. Right. He really does. He looks like Dad. What are you doing here? Like, can you be here? Like, he looks like. He's like, like there's some sort of risk of them getting him getting in trouble, which there should be. Look at Craig's face and look at Sean's reaction. Like, yeah, Sean's right. the, the kid from the rough, the wrong side of the tracks or whatever. But he's not like, no, he's not rude to people for no right, reason. For no reason. And the fact that he literally spits at a grown man's feet. Yeah. Like there's no, there's nothing else. There's nothing you want to pick up on Ashenator. Yeah. No, not, he, nothing. He's, exa- he's like, Sean is so great in that scene. Like, Sean is not heavily featured in this episode at all. And right, spoiler but, alert, but, he, yeah. for this one scene, is one of my shining stars for this episode. No, actually, I 100% agree with you for this moment alone. Because for this episode alone, or for this moment alone in this episode, I feel like he is just, hit. like, he is Craig's most honest friend you know you have tears of friends sometimes at this age it's like they're just you don't share something with with all of your friends he has this you know doing together doing things together friends like those are you know um spinner and marco and you know it very quickly becomes clear that like sean knows what happened and Sean knows what happened. Does. No one else does. And it's weird. He, that's, like, he just, he, he needed, yeah. Nobody else has questioned why he lives with Joey. I thought that, like, you know, and literally, so, and, and not to skip ahead too much, I think it happens, you know, later in the two-part, in the second part of this two-parter, but other characters respond as if, 
his conflicting emotions regarding what happens with his father is um out of line or is like completely right. alien nobody when, when like with the way that craig is grieving but it's like to me i i feel like it the the fact that you don't even have to know that he his father was violent toward him to figure that there has to be something pretty bad to occur for him to not be living with his only living parent i mean maybe maybe not like maybe Maybe as a kid, you're just not thinking that critically. Well, or maybe you asked and Craig's like, well, my dad's really busy being a surgeon and, you know, I was really missing being around my little sister and whatever. And it just ended up making the most sense, you know, and I see my yeah. dad all the time. We, I mean, it, it could be, I, I feel like there's room for a headcanon that Craig, you know, is just a, a liar when it. When things just, you know, more interesting than what the truth is. Um, or it's like, you know, more like of a fantastical thing versus what the truth is so that he can kind of dissociate from what the truth is. Whatever the case is, um, tracks. It's We get some evidence in this episode that he, he is in this two-parter that that is very much in line with who he is. Um, I just think it kind of sucks because... It just, it makes me dislike Ashley so much more because she's just not picking up on any sort of subtext. And I wish that she would do a little bit more work for the person that I know that she has been in the past. Like she picks up on subtext when she wants to pick up on subtext. Right. No, so it's a little bit annoying. About, so, okay. So there's so much that happens and I don't want to like is, and with Craig Don, yeah glossing over every step of what happens with Craig is kind of hard so um I mean after this scene uh they go into a conversation with Craig and Ashley is that correct mm -hmm. with um it goes, is that... hold on because you know I noted it yeah we're just gonna real quick kind of go through and talk about the plot and then we'll come back we've got bullet points um, so the next scene is that um, Joey's like house is chaotic and he wants Craig to do chores and shit and Craig's not oh, right. about that. And you can see Craig kind of starting to be like, well, maybe, maybe yeah, my dad is yeah. better. Maybe this is better. Um, yeah. And then like when, sorry, just oh, to, to know when, when Craig's dad visits, um, he does talk to him about like, you know, schoolwork. Yeah. So there is that little bit of floating and, you know, just telling him, you know, your schoolwork is important. I don't think that they had that conversation yet about science. No, not That's really. They later. had just like kind of a quick conversation. A quick conversation. Right? And his they dad have like couple. offers to take him home and he's like, no. Oh, he, I live with Joey. And then he's like, no, I better not, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but right. So it just seems like, you know, there's a little bit of doubt in Craig's mind, like possibly. And then um, then we're in school and brief side note, Spinner is really gross about Miss Hatsalakos. Um, I really don't like how gross so many of these boys are about Miss Hatsalakos. She's just trying to teach science. It's like all she cares about. Justice for Miss Hatsalakos. She doesn't even care about the kid. Like we don't even know she has a kid. Right. Um, but then Ashley and Craig talk and she's like, you know, people change. And it's like, 
bitch, you don't know any of the context right. to say that people change. Like, and I mean, her, I think that is definitely a little bit of like a, like something that gets brought up in this episode about her being so so nice. doom and gloom without really knowing much in the way of yeah. actual struggle and like yes. yes it is a trauma that all of her friends ditched her but they've all kind of welcomed her back into the fold somewhat yes um, you know it they're is, not like I mean, friends and- but if they need to write a song yeah, they're not friends, but they're they are acquaintances. They don't hate each other. But yeah, so it's like it just seems to me like she is giving this sort of like generic advice without actually knowing anything about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think and I would think that for someone who knows that, you know, things aren't always perfect and people are, you know, maybe have hidden struggles that she wouldn't implore a little bit into like because anybody with sort of a pulse or like any concept of how people work would understand that that interaction with her his father was very uncomfortable it was very uncomfortable. so i just really have a hard time understanding why she's so like oh people change yeah no ashley's a fucking idiot so then yeah Craig, like because <laughs> ashley's it's all ashley's fault craig visits his dad at the hospital um, where he finds out that his dad's been telling people that he went to boarding school. Um, first red flag. Which Craig's dad, like, they go to dinner and his dad is like, well, I I couldn't tell people where you were and why. Which, like, yet- on one hand I get, but on the other hand, like... I think it would have been a sign of, like, goodwill toward people, Craig. Right. Here's the for, thing. For, for him to be honest. Here's the thing is people can change. Definitely. And, like, even horrible people, even your abusive dad can change. But in order to change, like, you have to put in the work. And part of putting in the work is accountability. Absolutely. And it's one of and, the yeah. biggest parts of putting in the work. And the it's fact the that hardest there's, parts. it's, it's yeah. the hardest part, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But like, without, without that, like, there's something missing there. It's like, it's, it's something, okay, I only want to admit my shortcomings to a therapist. No one else has to know this. No one else has to know. Right. And well, like, that means that no one else is going to be able to hold you accountable, but your therapist. Right. Because only your therapist knows what truly happened. If, if your you're therapist being, even knows. If your therapist even knows. Because I think that the such and I, I don't I feel like we touched on it in the um When Doves Cry episode, but just how much of Albert is rooted in his ego. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of his frustration and you know, you see it in the conversation that Craig and his dad have outside of the restaurant when he says, well, maybe Joey is the best place for you because then you can, you know, throw away your potential and work at the car lot and date weird goth girls and date weird goth girls. Right. Like he throws that in, like, he's just the way that he sees Craig as an extension of himself. And I think in some ways, most parents do. I think he takes it to the point of where if you're not my idea of like, if you're not what I want you to be, and if you're not doing what I think you should do, then I'm, then you're nothing. And you might as well just, I wouldn't say most parents, I would say a good 
portion a good portion of like of parents. older generation parents what i'm seeing in right like yeah millennial like parents and zoomer parents mm-hmm. at least the ones i know is mm-hmm. like no my children are their own people it's really right i think keep, keep I, thinking ass gen z we love you this is I a gen z stand podcast um, I think to like say an extension of you, it's more like not necessarily, oh, you are my property, because I think that is a really antiquated sort of belief that like your children are your property. Your children are not your property. Your children are your children. And I think that having too much of a like, oh, I control every aspect of their personality, everything about them versus, okay, my child is, you know, a representative of my efforts is kind of what I meant, like as an extension of me. Fair enough. Um, But but I do think that there are a lot of parents who like, my children are my property or my children are a canvas on which I can paint my broken dreams, you know? Definitely. And... I think any of those is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like these coming generations of parents. And totally. it's fucking great to see. It absolutely is because it's like, I think that there's just, that's the healthy, uh, healthiest way that we can look at parenthood is, you know, we are trying to raise up a next generation and these, these people are, are an extension of us and that there are blood or our hopes, our efforts, or, you know, like people that we've raised, but, in the same time, like they're going to go off and do their own thing. And that's fully within their right. And that's fully what what they should be doing. Right. Like we would like to continue a society in an, in a sort of like in a way that we guided, that's Mm -hmm. kind of, that's kind of supposed to be the gist of parenthood. And I think that Albert's, you know, placing way too much ego into the task because he feels like Craig you know, needs to look good all of the time. He needs to look like, oh, you are the, I am the model child and our our relationship is so perfect. It's all about looking like the representative of Albert's efforts versus in a way that's like artificial versus mm-hmm. what's actually going on. Um, and I mean, I think that that's why nothing has changed. Right. <laughs> like, this is, you're only getting better in your terms, quote unquote, you're better, quote unquote, in, in the terms that you set forth. Well, and, and that's the thing is in order to like, you have to get to the root of the problem. Right. In order to fix the behavior. And he's doing a decent job at like, playing the uh, talking the oh, talk yeah, at talking the talk he talks a mean game he does he's a great talker speaking but... of which i want to jump back for just a second it's not really consequential to the plot but um mm-hmm. when craig's at the hospital mm-hmm. and you see albert talking to a patient who i guess he's going to be operated operating on and he mm-hmm. tells her that he guarantees success mm-hmm. and like I am not a surgeon, but I did watch like 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so I think you that qualifies you. Do that. I'm basically yeah, a doctor. No, you are. You've and been you don't do that because, like, <laughs> even the most routine surgery, something can yeah, go something wrong. Something can go wrong. Yeah, you never get You're guarantee. allergic to the anesthesia. You're, you yeah. know. 
Yeah, I mean, there's. I think that there's something that, like, and I think that that was a little bit of what we kind of started to to hint at in our discussion in One Dove's Cry is that seeing Albert as a person is kind of crucial in the in a crit- critical sense of this argument. Like, we have to kind of think about what his psyche must be, and mm-hmm. the fact that his job is most likely one of the last things that he has to to really formulate his identity around because he's no longer a father you know, like he's trying to grasp at becoming a father again, but it's like, he's not actively parenting Craig. And, you know, that's now Joey's role in his son's life. And now he's like, okay, well, I am a surgeon. I have to, I have to excel at this. If I'm not excelling at being a surgeon, what am I excelling at? Right. You know, it's, it's definitely like he is fueled by, you know, how people see him, but also how he feels about himself. And he obviously hates himself. He holds himself, he doesn't ever let himself relax. He doesn't let anybody else around him relax. And it's just extremely like, you know, you can tell that this guy is just so high strung because he is trying to hold his belief of himself together. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just such a miserable way to live. Um, and I really, you know, I think we see a little bit of like his life when they go, um, well, that that's, that's later, but we see a little bit of his life and it's solitary and it's sad. You know, yeah. there's just so much of Albert that is like, it's sad. sad. It's, sad. it's sad. It's very sad. It's like, no, and that's the thing is he could have been somebody different. Yeah. You know, he could have, I know, it's sad. It's, it's sad. And being a surgeon sounds really hard and also wrapped up in God complex and Oh, totally. Totally. Like, you know, yeah, no, I shout out to anybody who works in medicine. Cause I'm sure that's really hard to cope with. Um, but don't beat your yeah. kids about it. Please don't beat your kids about it because it's like, you know, we, we want to, because Albert Manning is not a plot device. He's a character. Um, yeah. So we actually, you know, there are opportunities to analyze him here. We have a, a good amount of evidence. We we hear what he says. We can look at the way he re- responds to things. Like the things even that before, are valuable and important to him. And yeah, yeah, we have all of that evidence. Like, I mean, I think even seeing his his body language before Craig comes into the restaurant about how like he's on edge and he's sitting on you know on the oh, edge of so and vibrating. There's oh, yeah. the second time that they go to the restaurant when Craig's running late. He's like super shitty to the waitress. Yes. Comes over and he asks if he needs anything. And she, he's yes, like, that's like, the time I'm talking about. Right. For the tenth time, I'm waiting for somebody. Yeah. And like, on one hand, I get that. On the other hand, I get like being a server, and you've probably got management being like, "Why haven't you checked on this yeah. table?" Right, you know. this table. Yep, this table hasn't ordered anything. And you want to know what's going on because you got to turn tables to make money. Yeah. Um, and you know that that thing about like you can tell who somebody is by how they treat people. Treat, yep, like that they work that for them can or be perceived as like yeah. less than them. Yeah, and I mean it's definitely right. Like you get a little bit of a couple of layers in that scene with like how he's treating other people because we don't really get to see how he treats other people. That's it's pretty interesting. I like, mean, we see, all of his colleagues love him. We know that. Right. We see him right. as a patient, and even though he's, it sh- you shouldn't guarantee success, 
but he's, right. he's calm and he's calming the patient cordial right. and like yes. not even cordial he's he's friendly got bedside manner he's got bedside manner yeah um, he's warm yeah. you know which is is the case with a lot of abusers abusers are charismatic Definitely. people right um and i mean this is probably the only you know, I, th- I think it is the only instance where we see him interacting with someone that he's not trying to make believe whatever he's trying to make them believe, you know, like it's, it's really just someone who he just wants to get out of his face because he's waiting for an important person to arrive. And I mean, it's very telling because he just, he's so dismissive. He's so cold. He doesn't turn anything on. It's very much like, I've got nothing for you. Get out of my face. Like I, I said, I'm fine. You know, like it's, it's, pretty telling because I think that he strips that off for Craig. Sometimes I think that he strips off his warmth, you know, it's like taking that tablecloth off of a um, table with things still on top of it trick that yeah. like when you pull it off abruptly and it's like, damn, um, there, you know, it, it's very telling, um, how he can turn it off and turn it on. Mm. And it, it's, I feel like I have to just say that, Jake Epstein being able to act beside Hugh Dillon. I remembered his name from the laugh from, from when doves cry, being able to act as beside a care, um, an actor who is, you know, presumably 20 plus years older than him and having that like gravitas and like being able to like be so like on, I love the, that scene is gives me chills. Like the whole episode I was sobbing, but like the, it really is like such an intense like emotion fueled episode um, mm. scene in this episode that I'm like, oh, no, and, Jake, and he just like, holds his own. Like it's so, Oh my gosh. I like Jake Epstein is definitely like one of the more working Degrassi people now, but right. like, I don't understand how he's not working so much more than he does because he's insanely talented. He is. And like whatever you give him, I don't feel like. And I mean, he's funny too. It's kind of crazy. Like he's got like a lot of sides to him. Like he can do like sardonic. He can do very, like you know, sort of matter of fact humor as well. Like it's just he's got a lot of naturalness to him Mm -hmm. that I think he creates characters very easily. And it just and it's not like other um, actors where they're just playing themselves because that's something totally different. Like bringing like a natural like energy to a character versus just playing yourself every time is they're two different things <laughs> but i think that he's able to just bring a lot of energy into things that people wrote right and i i just love the way he plays craig in this this arc it's very sad and it's very good yeah like it's, in a way that's like this kid is like 15 years old because I mean I realized that Shane said he was a little bit older than Spinner's cast you know mm-hmm. uh, than Spinner's he age was like 16 yeah so I would say I would say that that would probably track around you know they're supposed to be playing 14 year olds yeah. around 16 um, which is still so you know still the age ish that they would <laughs> like it's not like he's 20 something um, I think it's so impressive how Every t- like every rewatch gives me chills because it's mm-hmm. like he's so like believable. It's so sad. Yeah. Um, uh, and I mean, all the range they give him in this episode too. Like I like it's actually pretty desirable for anyone to play all of this range in yeah. one episode. Yeah. Like, damn, he goes so many different places. So many different places. It's a really great um, 
we kind of like i mean i yeah, guess I we feel said like it in the in, in the, our little bit of a, of a, bit of yeah, a gloss, gloss over, over. but um craig's dad yeah. dies and like craig's, craig's dad does die yeah journey through grief like you see a lot of the different stages of grief but you see them yeah. through like this added layer of it's hard it's it's hard to grieve anybody it mm-hmm. is so much more complicated when your relationship with that person is difficult absolutely and like you know Ooh. we talked about it in when doves cry like especially when it's like your fucking dad who you've known literally your whole life like not mm-hmm. every second is bad right you they know that, we absolutely. see them having fun and not quite having fun but like we see them like they have rapport they have rapport right they, they have good t- i mean they traveled together before clearly like they've they've gone on trips together mm-hmm. they've done things together and it just seems like and i i and it's such a degrassi sort of telling of this story that you know the last time they speak to each other is a fight right and his father telling him, you know, I think we said it before that, will you deserve Joey? Because then, you know, you can, that's your potential. You can date that creepy goth girl and work at the car lot. That's, you know, and then they, uh, well, so basically, he Ashley and Craig pushes yes, him. Yeah. He said, don't talk about Ashley like that. Don't talk about it like that. And his, he pushes his dad, but his dad just winds up and smacks him. Smacks him so hard he hits he the hits ground. Him. Yes. And he's got a, a mark on his face, like a, a cut. sort of wound, a cut from maybe his ring or something. Um, or maybe just his hand. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's so or hard. hitting like the Just ground. the force of the, right, like, yeah. And I mean, he, he looks genuinely surprised. Of course, I think that that's a thing that there's, that's always depicted. And I mean, I think that that's kind of, again, a, a hint of his character being like, I think Albert is genuinely surprised at his own behavior. Mm-hmm. Like his own anger. I, I think, think it Albert always kind of sneaks up on him. genuinely thought he was getting better. Or had gotten, I think not so even too. was getting better, had gotten better. Had gotten better, yes. Because he wouldn't have approached and him their, with such confidence if he didn't feel that way. Their fight starts because he gets him tickets to London and he's like, it'll be a good way for us to like reacclimate so you can move in and move back in. Right. Though he's needed to happen, but that's not a stable environment for you. And Craig's <gasps> like, right. Craig says, and yeah. it's great. I'm I, yes, so I proud love of Craig. It. I love it. And he's like, no, Joey's is stability. Because we've yes. they've been hinting at like shit's not going well at Joey's. Angie's sick. There's chaos. Craig's stressed trying to yeah, study. Right. There's been and some like, sort of on our part, like we're not sure how Craig feels about well, he, maybe staying with being a Joey. There's a little bit of a that scene after his first dinner with Albert, he gets home mm-hmm. and Joey's annoyed that he's late and the house is a mess still because Craig was supposed to clean it. Yeah, Angie's sick. Angie's sick and she got sick at ballet and there's just and I mean Joey's stressed. He's Yeah. And, he's like, and I came home hand, and the house was like, still a mess. You know, you said you'd come home and clean it. And on one hand, it's perfectly reasonable to expect help from the people yeah, who live in your t- house. Yeah, like, totally. Even Angie's age. It's okay to be like, you know Absolutely. what, Angie, your chore is this age-appropriate chore that you need to do this thing once a week or whatever. You Definitely. know? Um, but, like, Craig... Craig is annoyed that Joey wants his help and you can see Craig is kind of considering it 
you know, he went and had dinner with his dad. They had a good time. It wasn't bad. You know, there's the scene he goes and studies at his dad's too. And they're having fun doing that. But then his dad makes some Mm -hmm. snide remark about him not using a coaster and yeah, Craig has like a, a genuine, not quite like, like a flashback, but a like it's a P, it's like a PTSD, like I think maybe an anxiety sort of fuel mm-hmm. thing, where he just gets a flash of what could happen or what maybe like is plausible based on his father's reaction. And it's and it's frustrating because like you want people to be the best possible version of themselves, or at least I do, and oh, like. Absolutely. You can see he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And here is an opportunity to like take some of that accountability and acknowledge mm-hmm. it. And the best he can muster is to just be like, it's not a big deal. I just don't want rings on the table. Right. And like great for like being mindful and whatever. It is a mm-hmm. baby step. It is definitely a little baby you know, stuff. I mean, right, but it's not what Craig needs. It's not enough. It's not it's not, not ready. It's to not the progress. Parent. Right. It's not ready. Right. It's not ready to give his parent. Enough, and you need to you be know? okay with that. You yeah. know, in my perfect world where Albert actually does stop being a piece of shit because it is possible to stop being a piece of shit. It's, it's totally just really possible. hard. It takes so much, like, like so much accountability every step of the way. So much self-awareness. Right. And I mean, like, to realize that he's traumatized this child. Right. Who he loves. He loves Craig. And you can tell that he loves Craig. But I think at the same time, it's just such a something that he's going to have to personally do so much work on. Well, and I think, like... Being aware of the fact that you have done harm can mm-hmm. be embarrassing. It is embarrassing Absolutely. to be that kind of person. And so when you become aware of it, it is embarrassing. And mm-hmm. so, like, I understand. Like, I've been, you know, obviously not Albert Manning, but there were definitely times in my life where I was the kind of person who, like, if I did something wrong, like, I was angry about being aware of it you know it's like did you ever like when you were fighting with your mom when you were a teenager like hit that point where you realize you're in the wrong but you're too far in now so you're just gonna double down absolutely (laughs) and it's 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 like that and it's like Mm -hmm. i understand it Mm -hmm. and do better yes um and progress not perfection you know maybe absolutely maybe if albert hadn't died in time they could have gotten to a place where they could have some sort of relationship people do change and i think that that's important to make clear because it's just in this instance that's not how this story goes right they don't have that opportunity but I do think that there was room for there to be some sort of reconciliation. It just didn't need to happen within eight months or six right. months of him leaving the house. Ha- like, right. There, Maybe start there, having dinners again. Right. Like there could have been, you know, it didn't need to be all at once. I think that that would have made built right. so much goodwill because Craig just, there was also a lot of control in their relationship. And I, I mean, I think, And I also want to say, because I think it's important and we're talking Mm -hmm. about this topic. So 
even if your abuser, be it a parent, a friend, a partner, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, even if they do all the work, even if they stop being a shitty person, you don't have to forgive them. You don't have to have them in your life. It's definitely not a requirement. That's like, it's okay to say, I am happy that you did this work, but I choose to, you know, to hold my boundaries and I don't feel like it's a good idea for you, for us to be right, right. In in a relationship, you know, I don't feel like that's necessary. Like whatever you need to say, whatever the reason it's not safe for you or, you know, you feel like, Hey, great. Or you you just don't want to not giving you another chance. Like, right. Um, and that's totally valid. Like there, no one gets to decide how you feel about someone, especially if someone has done you wrong. And, you know, there's just, there's no, there's no right way to react. There's right. no obligation that you have toward, and you have the obligation toward yourself to do what's best for yourself to keep yourself safe. And, you know, I think that being an, abu- like talking about abusers is such a hard thing because every person who's ever abused someone is different. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's just so like, there's no predictor on if this, you know, work will stick and there's no reason why, you know, if some, you know, there's no reason why you have to stay and, and be around or be with and subject yourself to it. It's never a requirement. Um, they need and to do that so one for a, themselves. I am a firm believer that forgiveness should only ever be for you. Absolutely. Um, you know, and you that forgiveness that can look like you can forgive somebody and still want nothing to do with them. And I also mm-hmm. think I've been talking to a friend who has recently started talking to her mother again after being no contact. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that's important is that like you can forgive somebody and get over something and that doesn't mean that there won't be occasions where like I don't know something triggers a memory and you're kind of pissed off for a day yeah it's you know you can't forgive someone and then choose to continue to sit in that anger Mm -hmm. but but you can be mad of a day life is complicated and memory is complicated and trauma is complicated. Yeah. And like, you know, my mom never beat me, but my mom fucked up plenty as a parent and I have forgiven her for that. And also sometimes when I'm trying on a mini skirt, I think of the time she picked one up in the mall and said to me, I'm so glad you're too fat to wear things like this. Wow. Yeah. She she did the best she could with the tools she had at the time. Um, off oh, off camera, I'll tell you about my grandmother's weird relationship with like fucking food and bodies. Um, yeah. But like, and I'm not mad about it mm-hmm. anymore. But you know, there may be a day where I'm kind of feeling like shit anyway, and I think about it, and I'm like, oh man, that was a really fucked up thing to say to me, mom. Right. And not even like I need to tell her it was a fucked up thing to say to me. Yeah, you just, right. You need to acknowledge that. Definitely. Forgiveness Um, is complicated like most things in life. Everything is fucking complicated. It is. And I think, I mean, I, I really adore this episode for kind of 
highlighting that in such a really gentle way. Um, I think the best thing this episode does for people who are grieving someone who maybe they, it wasn't a picture perfect relationship. There were things that went on and you have mixed feelings about the person when they were alive. And then, you know, maybe you wished for, you know, them to be out of your life or well, and then that happens. And well, and how do you only, feel? Not only that, but it's like this added layer of fucked up, right? Because so Craig's dad hauls off and hits him and then is like, Craig, I'm so sorry, and starts to say it'll never happen again. And Craig's like, no, fuck that. He's like screaming at his dad in the street at this point. And he's like, it's it'll never happen again. Is that what you were gonna have to say? Because you yeah. said that before, and like, it's never gonna change. Right. And his dad says, it's so fucked up, and it's so disappointing. Yeah. Um, because up until. Up until this point, you know, or up until he hauls off and hits Craig, but I would say almost even up until this point, because he does look so taken aback when he hits Craig, like, you believe he wants to do better. Yeah, you do. He's got unreasonable expectations of, like, the prog or an unreasonable understanding of the progress that he's made and the work mm -hmm. that needs to be done, but, like, he doesn't want to be a guy who beats his kid. Right. Um... And then Craig says, it's never going to change. And Albert looks at him with like just such disgust mm -hmm. and such venom dripping from his tone. And he says, that's because you always screw up. Right. And then he drives off. He's clearly like, he's already driving erratically. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really like they don't go into it. And maybe he would have gotten in a crash anyway, but he probably wouldn't have gotten in that accident if that fight hadn't happened. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no, he definitely wouldn't have. You yeah. know. He was definitely driving angry. And and so for a kid, like, you know how sometimes, like, I, I describe it as, like, my rational brain and my emotional brain? Yeah. And how, like, your emotional, your rational brain can know that X is true and Y is absolutely false, but mm -hmm. that's not going to stop your emotional brain from feeling Y. Yeah. And, and so even though Craig's rational brain probably knows it's not his fault and it, that it's not his fault that his dad hits him and it's not his fault that his dad is dead. There's some part of him, I would have to assume, at least at some points as he's navigating this grief process, that feels responsible. He screwed up again. And it made his yeah. dad angry because his dad gets angry when he screws up. And then this time it killed his dad. And, like, it's so complicated. It's so heavy. It's extremely heavy. It's like, it's definitely layered. And I think that they just, they really treat it so sensitively, even like the way that they have the, you know, um, Joey break the news to him, you know, so the next day, uh, oh, well, he comes home from the encounter with his, his father and reveals to Joey that he got into a fight. You know, Joey sees that he's been hurt on his cheek 
and he is ready to call the police. He's got the phone in his hand, but Craig tells him that he wants to go to children's aid first thing in the mornings to make sure he never has to see him again and that he hates him. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, such a heartbreaking scene, but even more so the next morning when Joey is such a good and asks him if he's sure. Yeah. Asks him, are you sure? You know, like, and I love the, just that, oh, okay, there was a lot going on last night. Hot, you know, ten, you you were just in a, in a, maybe, you know, maybe in sort of a headspace. Have you, have you slept on it? Are you sure you still want to do this? Right. And he says, yes, I want to, you know, I, I can't, this is where I need to be. Basically, this is where I need to be. I can't go back with him. And then there's a knock at the door. The police, three policemen arrive and we can't hear what they say to Joey, but Joey's face, you know, pretty much tells us all we need to know is the audience um craig thinks that his father has sent these policemen to come get him but then joey tells him that he doesn't know how to tell him this that his father has been in an accident and it's just so delicate like Like his hospital oh right like i'm getting gets rights to starts to get up and go and he's like no sit back down he's just like he didn't make it he's like what does that mean yeah like it's it's so heartbreaking because i think it's it's one of the best like depictions of someone finding out that their parent or whomever has died that I think I've ever seen. Um, Dude, because it's so, I think it's so honest. Fuck having to tell somebody that somebody has died. Yeah. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and Joey handles it as well as anybody can. Right. It's um, so, and I mean, I think for a character like not Joey, like handling right. with kid gloves, he's right. He's he's being he's telling him the facts, and I mean, I think that there's just so so much sensitivity that is shown, like the episode in general, like the tone. I think that the writers do a really good job of like lacing how they feel or how the show feels about this subject matter. Um, not so much them, how the show feels about the subject matter, like in the atmosphere of the episode. Mm-hmm. In this episode in particular, it's so gentle. The entire yeah. thing is just so soft. And, you know, even I would argue the B plots are pretty like their tone is to like, I think offset how much heaviness we've got. But like the heaviness is like a slumber. It's so sad and gentle and just like trying not to be like too jarring to us because it's Craig not, is just it's not shock value it's no it's not shock value this is like so earnest it's like this is just what mm-hmm. this is just what happened and I mean Joey's like Joey's ability to be so what Craig needs in this moment is not lost on me because I think that um Joey at his heart has always been a character who I kind of struggle with because I'm like you know you have your moments where you don't piss me off but other than that you can go over there and I mean when he's good he's so good though when he's good he's so good and I think that like I can't really imagine you know I think Snake does play his role um in just aiding in Craig you know being and being his teacher in that time I think that the way that Joey you can see his thought process all over his face and just how he is really trying to choose the best words to tell Craig. It feels he, it, it makes him feel like such a real person. I think he, I think Pat is great in this scene and it is so hard because you can tell how hard it is for him even to say it as 
Joey. It's not even like, oh, you're thinking about Pat the actor. You're actually like thinking like Joey is having such a hard time telling, trying to tell, right. formulate how to tell Craig this. And it's so apparent. Um, it just gives me chills. I think this whole episode gives me so much. Like, it's it's a really good episode. It's everyone brought their fucking a game for this a pod. Yeah, like they were they weren't playing. Even like you know to transition into the second part of um, tears are not enough. Uh, it I I mean it opens with um, an announcement about the dance that Sully's ass is giving, right. and then it pans over to snake turning off the the tv and just saying you know i have an announcement over the weekend craig manning's father was killed in a car accident and i was just i was actually watching this with my girlfriend right before we were coming i came up to record for my rewatch and she said is that allowed it's like would they do that she's like did they ever do that at your school and i was like no but at my school is also like 400 kids. It doesn't um, in one grade. Right, that's the thing is like all of the grade nines appear to be in the same class for everything. Right, like um, they're small kind of classes. Yeah, and so like it's a community school. I think it's a little bit more of a like a and it makes sense. Like, damn. It kind of, I never questioned it before. And I mean, I think even looking at it critically, it definitely is a little bit of a like, oh, okay. You know, I get why they did it, but I do think it makes sense in the context of the show. Yeah. I do and, think it makes sense. And, you know, Marco's really thoughtful and wants to know that Craig's all right. Um, right. And Ashley's taking up a collection for flowers. Yeah. Then Craig comes in. And then Craig comes in. Um, I always kind of assume that snake has at least some idea of what's going on. Yes. I think as Joey's best friend, I think that Joey most likely used discretion in any sort of like specific, like specificity, like no, like actual nitty gritty details. But I think that snake knows enough that he was removed from his home. Right. And it wasn't something like, you know, how you were saying earlier, like that Craig played it off and made it like, oh, this has just worked out because of Angie or whatever. Like, no, this is a an arrangement that was made because Craig is not safe where he was living. Well, and I think that like that's an important thing kind of for school staff to know, like not so just because they're your guardian's friend. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah, and it's kind of clear yeah. Radich, I don't think, does know. No, but he still does. And I mean, no, I, I shout out to Radish, you know, like he holds it down, even though like even with him, like specifically pulling because okay, it is the announcement that Sully makes is just reminding everyone on the dance committee, which is pretty much everybody in grade nine. It seems like um, <laughs> everybody on the dance committee, you have off for first period to help decorate the the gym for the the dance so they're all kind of you know they're corralled so that's the next scene we go to after the media immersion homeroom scene but um it's certainly i don't know it just seems like it it seems like there's something that radich radich is doing really well with the information that he has right and I think he, if he was clued in, he would have been able to do such a better job than, you know, like, and I mean, I still think it's hard to have that conversation and there's only so much that he as a principal can do, but like even taking that active role. And I mean, that shows you how small the school is right. um, 
to be like, okay, I'm going to go talk to him about this because I could tell he's having a hard time. Like there must be only about 300 kids in his school. Mm -hmm. If that. No, it's not that. It's just that there's like 20 kids that he cares about. There's about 20 kids that are relevant to him. All the rest of them just react (laughs) Um, and are background characters. Um, Um, Sometimes plot devices. Um, No, but Ryan's just like, he doesn't do anything wrong. It's just like I noticed because he goes to Craig's dad's funeral, which I think is really awesome. Um, And he... Craig freaks out at his dad's funeral. His dad's funeral? Oh my fuck. Oh my gosh. One of his dad's colleagues is like giving the you googly. Um, <laughs> and he is talking about what a great dad Albert was and how much he loved Craig. And Craig just starts laughing. Yeah. Um, and Caitlin's there and suggests that he needs some air, that Craig needs some air. Why is Caitlin there? Caitlin's just fucking there. It's just, so what? weird because she and Joey Writers, aren't really like they're, they're not, not on bad terms, but they're not friends close enough for they're not somebody he's not she's not someone he would call to lean on in this time. So I don't really know why she's there. Stop trying to make them happen, stop trying to make their relationship happen. Writers, we don't care <laughs> they had their chance and he was fucking tessa campanelli so we don't care we don't um, care um but, but yeah caitlin's caitlin caitlin is there deliver that line about he needs some air so joey escorts him outside and i just think the way that joey handles him it, you said it could have been Snake and totally... Where is Snake? Could have totally been Snake. Snake is um, there. Sean's there. It's a little oh, weird right. to me that Sean's not sitting with Craig as his best friend and as, like... It is. Yeah. Um, like, I they, feel could, like they we could don't, have given someone else this that line and that didn't We happen. don't see it, but I feel like Sean was a really good friend to Craig. He like, was, yes. they no, spent told- a lot of time together this summer and yes. he helped Craig grieve and heal. I think that we can take that assumption. But um, Joey steers him out of this church, and I think that the way that he handles him in just saying that, uh, you know, like, that that is that he had a complicated relationship with his father, and, you know, like, I, 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 I just think he handles him very well. Right. Well, and okay, so something that you had started to touch on earlier, and then we decided not to because we weren't there yet in the plot, and then we glossed mm-hmm. over it, was that... yes. Craig and Joey go to Craig's dad's house. I don't know. Presumably yes. to like get Craig's suit. To get they have like a couple boxes. They um, don't have anywhere near what they need to clear out Albert's stuff, so it's assumed that it, they're just getting some stuff of Craig's. And there's this it's very quick, but Craig goes upstairs and Joey's standing in the dining room and like Albert's yeah. breakfast dishes are still on the table. Right. And Joey has this moment of being like this is sad. This is sad. He does. Um, and I mean, even Craig goes up to his dad's room and his once, you know, I feel like anybody who's ever slept by themselves for an extended period of time will know that like, there's that there's just like, okay, I'm not going to make this bed. I'm just going to leave it so that I can climb back into it. Cause I'm not sharing it with anyone. So it's not going to get messed up on the other side. So his bed is basically made, but it's just got a turnover where he just got out of bed. And it's on his side. And I don't know. It just looks very sad the way that it's just like you can tell he just sleeps in that same spot and turns his 
comfort her back over and, you know, repeats every day. It's just like, he's got such a routine. He doesn't really, you know, there's no home life for him. Well, and I mean, honestly, especially like somebody who lives alone, like, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I guess you only really super get into that situation with somebody who lives alone, but like being in somebody's house right after they've died. Yeah when like it's still kind of untouched like I've done that before as an agent you know Mm -hmm. somebody's mom dies and they want to list the house and you go out and you see the house and like it's a weird sensation to like see that somebody's life was a thing that they were doing and now it's just stopped in the middle of you know they didn't even have time to take their breakfast dishes to the sink Right. And it's weird and it's heavy and it's weird. Yeah, no, that's like, that's one of the things that I think um, the episode I always think of is um, uh, the episode in Six Feet Under where Ruth is like having a sort of a crisis. Oh, with Martha woman from uh, Desperate Housewives. Oh, I didn't even know that. that. Yeah, the lady who chokes on her. Frozen dinner. Frozen and dinner. Clear that, like, and she lived alone. She didn't have any. She lived friends. alone. Yes. Yeah, so it takes their her landlord about a week to find her, and and Ruth just takes um the matriarch of the family just takes a special interest in kind of being taking a a, a role in making her funeral happen because she planned her whole funeral, but there's no one to kind of come to it. She um, makes the whole family. She makes the yeah come to the funeral and dress um, up and. and she like, picks out a, a dress for this lady. There's, it's just a lot of shots a lot of this of, lady's like, the, house. And... Of her two sons who run the funeral home in Federico, who is a partner in the f- funeral home, um, and is a short, problematic king. Um, but there's a several instances of them, like, maybe not being, like, vulgarly and I don't even mean vulgar in like a sexual way, but like it intensely, I guess, disrespectful of this woman. But like, you know, the Nate Fisher, the worst Fisher is supposed to, is like, which one of these ugly dresses that we have on hand, should we bury this lady in? And Ruth is like, no, she wanted no, to be buried, wanted to in, her buried in her own clothes and like goes to this woman's apartment and yeah. She spends all this time like picking she actually theory. observes that she doesn't she didn't even have time to finish her crossword as well right um, which reminded me of right like what she was like it it's definitely she definitely gets so involved because i think that she the character at that time is just having that thought of like what if all my children leave me and i'm in this house alone and like i'm living alone and i die alone you know and yeah. then no one you know is there to to you know champion me after i'm dead you right. know, so she does this for this woman and it's very much like a solitary life. Um, and it's sad because I think that, you know, especially someone like Albert, he, he does desire to reach out, but there's so much that he's not being truthful, you know, towards other people. It's with a it. it's very like, lonely existence. And like, it is very lonely. It, being truthful is, I think, it, one of the best ways we're known. So like. It is choices that he is making, and it is also still very sad. It is sad that he is making those choices, and that as a result of those choices, this is the life that he lives. A sad, lonely life. Right. Um, 
six feet or black mold theory a six feet under six podcast, under podcast. eventually just dreaming coming eventually totally coming eventually I have so many thoughts but there's um, so much degrassi we can't take on a second podcast i know we don't have the time right now but we love we love six feet under and it's coming eventually um <laughs> but so i mean craig is just genuinely um he, he's just not doing it right now he's the whole grieving thing he's just like nah I'm good. And he's kind of trying to just live his life as if his dad didn't die. Right. And that starts with him going to school. Well, because even though I mean, they weren't expecting him for the rest of the term and he's just trying to go for- forward. He's not well, trying there's to Well, de- there's a degree to which I mean he decided last night he wants his dad to, to yeah. never be able to see him again. Right. Like his right. dad is dead to him essentially. And so yeah. You know, there's an extent of like, why should I be upset about this? Right. And I mean, it's definitely right. He's like, he's already made his mind up about the role his father is going to go forward to play in his life, which is no role. So he's like, fuck it. I might as well just go and do the plan that I already set my mind to anyway. And it's just so hard to watch other characters watch him do this. Um, Because I think, I mean, especially Joey, I... I love how Joey says, I just think that the pain is going to catch up with you. It did with me. Mm-hmm. And I think it just implies that, like, I've always thought that Joey and Craig are just such similar characters. And I they think are. that they write them that way on purpose. And I think that it would be very, you know, in my head canon, Joey Jeremiah went through a point in time after Julia died where he just tried to, to be normal. He tried not to let the grief hit him because you know maybe it was just easier not to think about the absence in his life that she was there's a degree to know. which like it you can put off the grieving and in putting off the grieving you put off it feeling real even though the realness of it is so in your face right the absence of the person yeah um no, Joey really shines in this episode. He handles. He does. He's so, and I mean, I think I like, don't the voice love... he uses is so damn. Oh, it's so good. It's awesome. the only time I don't love Joey in this episode is his initial response when he finds out that Craig's been seeing Albert. And I get that it's not. It, it's that he's angry because Craig got hurt. Yeah, you know, he's definitely he's angry, angry Craig that got hurt. that Albert hurt Craig again. But, but like when he tells him the reason that like he he lied is because uh, Joey wouldn't have let him. He's like, you know, of course I wouldn't have let you. And like, I don't think that's the appropriate reaction. I think if Craig wants to spend time with his dad, you figure out the safest way yeah. for that to be a thing, and you help facilitate that, and you definitely. You in- encourage that because like with anything if you make it forbidden it's only that much more appealing yeah I think that that was definitely a misstep of Joey because he didn't and I think it's also because he probably didn't even realize that that's something Craig that was was even wanting but I also think because Craig wasn't realizing that that's something that he wanted because Albert just showed up Right. Well, and it, I don't even know that I would say that it was something that he wanted. Like No, right. Like, it just more something that, oh, he was reminded, oh, okay, this is, he's, you know, he's giving me new, something to think about. But I don't even know if he really thinks about it. It's just like, it's in his face now. Whereas he was living the life with Joey and he just didn't have to, you know, he was, that was his normal. Um, 
it's definitely like he's only thinking, uh, you know, talking about seeing his fathers because his father has come to see him. Um, Ashley pisses me off again after the funeral because yeah. she's like talking to Ellie and like says that Craig's behavior was disturbing and whatever. And it's like, again, how are you this? Yeah. Inept. Like, how have you not figured this out? And I mean, Ellie's response is very level-headed. I, you know, she's yeah, very no, loyal Ellie to Ashley just this. saying, just saying funerals are stressful. Like, Bitch, of course, like, like that's a very basic, like, reasonable thought. Like, funerals are stressful. For- His dad just died. Like, she's like, there goes, there's the coffin, and Craig's just cr- laughing or cracking up or whatever. And it's like, I mean, Ashley, you research a lot. You don't research, you've never researched grief before? Well, and, like, honestly, <laughs> one, th- like... Like with anything in life, everybody is going to handle and experience it differently. Like, yes, there are commonalities in grief probably across people in general, but probably even still not all people. But like... That's kind of how they say that in like, you know, uh, for people who are into true crime, which I've been trying to distance a little bit recently because it'd be giving me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies sometimes. Um, You gotta find the ethical ones. Right. It's very hard to find ethical true crime, but just um, a lot of people saying that uh, everyone reacts to grief differently and or, you know, you never know. You can't really penalize someone for reacting in a way that maybe you wouldn't react because it's like there's so many ways to react to something like that. To be told that your loved one is, is dead. On a completely like lower stakes thing, like. It used to drive me crazy when I was younger that, like, you know that, like, how, like, people say, like, if you're laughing, you're lying. Mm -hmm. Like, if I accuse you of doing something and you're telling me you didn't do it when you did and you're laughing. Yeah. That that's a sign that you're lying. Mm -hmm. I can lie with a straight face like a motherfucker. What I cannot do is honestly tell you that I haven't done something that I am being accused of without laughing because like, it's something about like the absurdity to me and the, like the nervousness of being accused of something that I didn't do produces like nervous laughter. And it used to like drive me crazy when I was younger. So I'd be like, no, no, like I am very much really telling the truth. And like all of these things that were taught about like how you should grieve or how people respond to different things are bullshit because everybody responds their own way to everything. Um, and Ashley just has no empathy and no awareness. None. It's, it's hard. It's been strongly implied to you that his dad beat him. Right. He lives with another man. Like, yeah. And it's just, she's just like, what? Like right. the whole time, like she hasn't, she couldn't, she couldn't be fucking bothered to do any sort of critical thought, which is really weird for her character. Um, I don't know why they chose to make her play so dumb, but it just reads so unsavory. It, it, it doesn't, so it doesn't unsavory. come off as weird to me. It, 
we've talked some like off show before about like my feelings on Ashley and like I've said like a lot of her like writing like Mm -hmm. feels like somebody who's never experienced something but they've had it described to them yeah and like you know Craig, Craig ends up calling her out at the dance um about like you know she's a little miss doom and gloom but like what does she really know about it and like accurate it is accurate. Definitely. That's a lot of what people have called her out about. It's like, I've researched it. I know a lot more about it than you do. And like, no, like I, Ashley is someone who has really not known a lot of struggle. She and it's really not that she is. hasn't known any. Parents getting divorced is traumatic. Finding out your dad lied to you for your whole life is traumatic. Losing yeah. all your friends, even when it's your own goddamn fault, is traumatic. Being friends with Ellie Nash is traumatic. Okay, um, Caroline. I'm kidding. Right. I'm kidding. No, like I said, I really like Ellie in this episode. I'm trying to show Ellie more grace. It's fine. Um, I just couldn't. I couldn't Resist. pass up the. Oh, yeah, you know, dating but, um, Jimmy Brooks is traumatic. Um, but yeah, it's it's a. I feel like it's definitely a weird, like for. And I know you say it's not weird, but I just think that they give it like. They give her. They give her times where they want her to be thoughtful and inquisitive and then they give her times where they're just like nope that's not who she is anymore like she wants to observe Paige and how her behavior is whatever and then assume and then jump to something bad happening to her because of Paige reaction Paige's reaction but they don't want to give her that those sort of same inclinations towards her own maybe boyfriend right I mean I wish they would because it's like, you know, I I need I need that whole doom and gloom vibe to be about something and not just be a poser sort of thing oh, like well, But I think that's so that's I know you need that, but we don't get that because that's the core of Ashley Kerwin is that I know like everything that she, she does is performance art. She would be so much better if she was like a person and not like a person she saw on tv once but right um yeah um, it's so it, it's but what i do love a person who's actually being a person in this episode is terry Tear bear terry Tear bear beautiful baby cinnamon roll was so there for our fucking craig manning brooding boy she she was the right person yeah. And I mean, she does. It, it is teed up in the beginning of the episode um, when we're they're working on the dad is, or mom. We is are dead. reminded that Terry has a dead mom, and that that that's going to help her. And she and because I do like the comment that um, like uh, Ashley says, I wish I knew how to help him, and she says, you can't. You know, from my experience, you can't. Like, remember my mom. And I just think that that's, I really do like how the episode kind of tells us that grief is just a process and it's not necessarily something that you can fix as a person who's outside of that grief. It's about, you know, that person. It's not really about. Right. All you you can can be there for them. Sit there with them in it. And yes. And, but I mean, I appreciate how, so Terry goes after, um, there's this whole, okay. They win. 
these two these two young ladies uh, these two young ladies these, these two young people kids. these crazy kids they win the the king and queen of the, the what is it caroline it's the luau king and queen and it's, i was gonna say what dance what is the, the dance name oh the dance <laughs> is the hawaiian surf paradise thank Heather you like, i don't think we came up with the name yeah, I don't think that we've talked about it since we've crossed over to the second part of the episode, but okay. The Hawaiian surf paradise king and queen, the, the Hawaiian king and queen, they have won. And I mean, it's heavily implied that they won because everyone knows that Craig's dad is dead. Um, but Craig entered them just such on a whim that it's, you know, it, they steal the crown from under Paige and Spinner and uh, Jimmy and Hazel. And Hazel. So Nobody else had a chance. Probably, no one else uh, probably the, like grade 10s and 11s voted for him too. At least a chunk of them. Right. I would, I would definitely bet that. So um, there is definitely a moment. Um, and I remember I made a post about this on the Degrassi group, a, a midsummer moment because he's got the, he's got the flower crown on his head and it's just like, and he sees his, uh, who he thinks to be his dad. And I mean, this teacher looks a lot like his fucking father. He really Especially does, but it's actually as yes and it's, it's a mr. super boyd who we've never mr. boyd seen we've never seen this man before we probably won't see him again but we'll, we'll, we'll keep a lookout for him um but he's clapping erratically and like you know like one of those wind up toys that you you know wind up on their back and then they just like the monkey with symbols like ta 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 like that's how fast this dude is clapping and craig this is when everything hits craig like a fucking train not the train from when doves cry that's it's different train um a metaphorical he, train a metaphorical train if you will of grief and he you know in seeing his this person this teacher who looks like his father he goes and frantically tells him i want dad i want i want and then he sees it's not his father and it's all downhill from there. He trashes some posters, or is it a like a crate? It's like a, like a huge. Crate? No, it's like it's a huge mural, basically, but on paper. A mural of okay, like a, mural. a lake Hawaiian scene. It's like palm trees in a sunset, and he rips okay. some of it down. He rips that. He's pissed because um, Ashley's <laughs> like, you know, asks him how he's doing, and he's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, fuck you and your goth bullshit." Um, and Mister Radish then. You know, shines again. He doesn't like. He's just he like nope. Everybody, him. give him yeah, a minute, like, and I'll check yeah. on him in a bit. And then he right. sees Terry go, and he doesn't try yes. to stop her. He just come. He pops in. He pops in at the at, end. To like, at the end, right? But he does see Terry going after done. her. Yes, he pops uh-huh. in. He sees that they're good, and he dips on out, which I love because I just think that Terry does such a great job telling her story about. Um, so she tells him when her mom died, she, we don't know what age she was, but she was at a birthday party and her dad came to tell her and um, she was angry. And, you know, Craig's like, oh, because of your mom dying. And she's like, no, I really wanted to play pin the tail on the donkey. And, you know, I couldn't. I. I couldn't const- <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. I love Craig though his response there like it's it's yeah, him coming through his yeah. own grief and it's him like yeah. reaching out to her and her grief yes. and he's just like pin the tail on the like, donkey yeah. is a really it's fun game when you're a game kid. Yeah, absolutely it's it's a it's sweet so, response it's a yeah. great scene and I think it's so like they're they're giving such a heart to heart but you know um, he it, it just the result of again I, I took this note down. Um, 
he's saying, so I was fine to have my dad out of my life. I was wishing he was dead. So now why am I crying now that he is? And she says, because you love him. And I'm like, oh my God, Degrassi, this is what you do to me, fucking Degrassi, God. Like it wells up in me even saying, because like the way her, the way her line delivery is, is so good because she says it like so matter of fact, she's like, because you love him. I wish that we got more Craig and Terry. Like Craig and Terry, they're so, they work so well together. Don't want them together, but would love them as friends. Friends, like more friends that like, like actually interact with each other and aren't just in the same friend group. Mm -hmm. That would be fucking great. Thanks. Give us more fucking Craig and Terry because they are beautiful together. And I just think that no one else could have kind of got Craig to this point. Right. And no one else, because no one else understands. Yeah. No one else (laughs) understands. Right for now, for now, count your days. Uh, but Mr. are we? Uh, we're Mason. never really gonna know when it happened because I think it's we never mentioned until Spinner has cancer. Right, count your undetermined amount of days, Mister Mason. Your death is imminent, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, but it's such a. I think that they do such a great job. Such a um, great job wrapping Craig up into the, like because it's obviously that he obviously stated not stated but it's an undercurrent uh the he is going to be dealing with this for so unpacking this for a long time but i think now that he realizes that he does love his father he can begin the work right and well i mean and that's the thing is like grieving is really not something you ever stop doing it stops being as like constant Yes. But like my best friend died five years ago and I don't Mm -hmm. think about him every day the way that I used to. Right. But there are times, you know, the right song comes on the radio or shit. The air just feels right. And then like evokes a memory like. Absolutely. And I'm sobbing like Mm -hmm. you never really stop grieving someone. It. You don't, you don't. And I like, think it's just like, you, it, but you can't even stop grieving someone if you don't start. Right. And I think that that was a big thing that Craig had to realize too. Not just that he loved his father, but that he has to grieve his father. Well, and like, I think too, there's like a like, not feeling entitled to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um. Which, like, I'm sure he's not even, like, fully aware of. I don't think he could explain that way. But I think that's a facet of it, too. Like, I hated him. I wanted him dead. And now he is. And, like, I don't deserve to be sad about it. Definitely. Yeah, I think he's absolutely saying some of that. Definitely. It's like, do I have a right to grieve this person who might definitely just was like you might as well be dead to me because i'm not you're not going to be in my life anymore you know i don't want you in my life anymore well and i think too like there is anger that comes obviously with having a dad like albert manning yeah and i think that sometimes when somebody who has hurt you dies Mm mm-hmm it's one of the complications is that you still have anger. 
-hmm. and there's nowhere for it to go. And it's like, you know, even if you were never going to confront the person, like, I don't know, when you feel angry, you could be like, maybe I will write them a letter about how they're the worst. (laughs) You know, or like you do that thing in the shower where you make believe you've run into them and you tell them all of the things, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and even if you were never going to tell them now, you never can. And you don't have that option anymore. So you're not even just like, he's not just grieving his dead abusive dad. He's grieving like his opportunity either for shit to get better or for him to say the things he needs to say. Yeah. And it's, it's very complex. And I think that they do a really good job touching on all of it. They do. And such a tight, you know, and not, and like subtly, they're not slapping you in the face with like, it's so well done. I love this show. They're not slapping you in the face. Right. I love the show too. Like, and here's, like, I feel like we've already championed this. Like, I, I I do believe it was the When Doves Cry episode when we were, like, a good cry, like, the power of a good cry cannot be understated. Oh, man. Because that, my friends, at the end there, when Craig goes back to Ashley and is able to say, ask me how I'm feeling, and she asks him and he says, better, that is the power of a good cry. Because you need to cry about it, you do the work. Well, and I love, too, he comes back to the dance, and Ashley looks like she's leaving, and he's like, are you going somewhere? And she says, no, are you? And he says, soon, I'm tired, and I want to go home, but I want to have our dance first. And, like, way to go, Craig, with, like, recognizing where you're at and articulating your needs. And, like... yes. And saying, you know what, like, this is sad. There's a lot of shit I got to figure out. But also, my dad's taking shit from me, and I'm not letting him take this from me. I'm Luau King dancing with the girl that I'm super into. Yeah. And I love that. I feel like I love that for them. I'm not a Crashly supporter. I just think Craig in therapy, I'm always going to maintain that's who he should be with. Craig and just a good old therapist, please. But um, they have a good moment. I do like their. Moment. I'm here's the thing is like I'm not a Crashly supporter either. Um, yeah. Nope. And I think that like if Craig were a better version of himself, mm-hmm. I would be. They could have. I yeah, think they, there's they, would they, work, yeah. they work together except for all the yeah. bullshit. And I think that, like, when they're good, he brings out, like, the best in Ashley. Mm -hmm. I think, I think if Craig didn't have all of the bullshit that Craig has, um, which is mainly a lot of cheating. um, Mainly. And, like, without that aspect, they could have been really good. Yeah. And maybe I, I wouldn't have hated Ashley so much. Possibly, because with Craig to balance her out, she's just like a little, you know. I, it's I'm that, you know, it. and I've noticed, like, you know how, like, did you watch Breaking Bad? No. Okay, well, everybody hates the wife in Breaking Bad. Did you okay. watch The Walking Dead? 
I watched Fear the Walking Dead and I didn't even make it through that. No, okay. I don't like disappointment. That's fair. So I... <laughs> um, well, so Walking Dead, like Rick has a wife at the beginning and everybody hates her too. And like, I did a rewatch of Walking Dead and I was like, I feel like Lori only sucks because her husband sucks. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like. I don't know. Ashley would suck less if her boyfriend sucked less. Totally. Um, but this is I, not. Yeah. I will show Ellie Grace. I'm not showing Ashley Kerwin Grace. Fuck you. I don't. We don't need to show. This Ashley is an Grace. Ashley Fuck Kerwin her. slander podcast. I we made that promise her on Grace. a Facebook group today. I'm not going back on it now. <laughs> We give her credit where credit is due, just like Emma, but, like, fuck her for real. Like, for, she, for real. She has her, her like, fucking few moments, but, like, she's not going to get a cookie for every one of her few no. moments, okay? No. She gets acknowledgement, and that's about it. But, yeah, I think that we've trashed Ashley enough for one episode. There's so many more. There is never enough trashing Ashley. Oh Can we make God. that a segment? trashing ashley this episode um but i mean i think that i think that we did a good i think we did a good job like this is a good discussion of this episode yeah. did you have any more thing or you know do you, have any, ugh, do you have any more things to discuss about this a plot um no did we touch on in the b plot though because i'm looking at my notes and i'm i can't remember talking about it. so in case we didn't and if we did it's worth talking about twice um, at the end, Jimmy is allergic to um, his leg. Oh, we talked about that in the pre-record. We talked about that in the pre-record. That's what I thought. Jimmy is allergic to his leg, which is clearly made of fake flowers. Yes. Clearly. Um, so that's impressive. I guess you can be I'm allergic to fabrics, but... I guess But so, you wouldn't but be I sneezing, mean... you'd be hiving. Yeah. <sighs> Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. But yeah, I think, um, I feel like it's a good, uh, skipping on over to the fashion corners. Yeah, let's skip on. Yeah, it's not a great fashion corner. I know it's normally your favorite corner, but I struggle. It normally is my favorite corner, but it's like a little bit of a lukewarm corner this time. Yeah, it's a very not great corner this time around. Um... In fact, I don't even have any from the first one. I don't have any from the first one either. From the second one, I have Hazel and Paige um, when they're in homeroom and Simpsons telling them about Craig's dad. They both look yes. very cute. Paige is wearing a, like, it's dark blue. I think it might be denim top. Yeah, it's like a denim. Actually, it's like a um, like a denim uh, button-up. What the f- yeah, it's like a suit. Like one of those, like think Michael Myers, like a jumpsuit. Yeah, a little bit. Is yeah, it? and it's like one. It's like a la 70s too because she's got it belted. So mm-hmm. she's like and then belted... she's got those blue sunglasses on top of her head. She looks cute. Yeah, she's fly, you know. She's got that belt. There's a studded belt going on too at her hips. So it's, a, it's like a onesie, a jean onesie. And then Hazel's wearing a like, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a keyhole top. And it's like striped and floral. Yeah. It's like white and red and blue and pink. Um, and mm-hmm. then a very well coordinated beating head beaded headband. Yes. Um it's not a bad look. 
No, I like also the girl sitting behind pretty. Hazel is really pretty. <laughs> I just noticed her. She's very pretty. Um, like uh, too pretty to be main cast. Too pretty to be main. So she just collect her coins in the back. Um, but so that's my first one. Yeah, so for me, I feel like I liked um it, it pretty much abruptly skips to the the luau, the the Hawaiian dance because I'm just kind of scraping at the bottom of the barrel. I just I do like um I mean I guess Craig's shirt comes a little bit before it. He says he borrows it from Joey and it's got like black palm trees on it. It's like bright blue at the top. It's, it's kind of like my a, least favorite kind of Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, like I don't really like it just on its own. I like it in complement with Ashley's outfit because I actually do kind of like the goth, mm -hmm. um, you know, luau vibe. But um, I think it only really vibes because his palm trees are black. Mm -hmm. And I do like the burst of color. But it's like, I mean, it's so, it's like when Ashley and Craig are a fashion highlight for the positive. I'm sorry. It's just this, this is such scraping the bottom of the barrel for this episode. Well, and then, so my other, I think it's my only, no, I have two. I have a bad one and a good one. Mm -hmm. My bad one is Paige and Spinner both. Oh yeah. Um, Paige totally. is wearing like a black crop top and black shorts or whatever under a grass skirt. And then over it, coconut boobies. Over it, she's got a coconut bra that's got like puka shell like piping. <laughs> um, and she's wearing a rainbow lei in her hair, and then like a pink and purple lei around her neck, and then pink lays on her wrists. Mm -hmm. And it's just like it's not flattering. It's not cute. <laughs> it's it's not good. And then Spinner's wearing like a yellow wife beater and like a fucking sarong around his waist and yellow and blue, like those really shitty plastic lays. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're not good. They're not good quality. And then my good one is our precious baby Tear Bear. Yeah. Oh, she looks so pretty. She looks so pretty. She's wearing like a purple and white dress that's like some kind of Hawaiian-y print. And she's got, um, there's still like fake lays, but they're the ones where it's like fake little, like fabric, not plastic. Yeah, fa yeah fabric. Um, purple and white. And then she's got flowers in her hair. She's got two strands and then like the rest of it's up. It's very cute. Terry looks very adorable. Um, and that's my fashion corner. I don't know what else you got. I did want to, I was trying to get like a good picture of Ellie's outfit. Um, I am going to say that for the most part, I like like half of what she was doing, but her hair kind of ruins it for me. because She's doing some kind of like, and I think I've seen her do this kind of like snoot looking hairstyle before where she's got like, it's like like a faux bang in front of her head yeah on the top of her head yeah with volume and then um i don't appreciate that and then i also don't appreciate <laughs> her boots uh 
<laughs> um, but like she does have like a mini skirt on that's kind of like it looks some sort like some sort of grass attempt, like but it's black as well, so it's hard to see. And she's got like a regular, regular old top with her signature, like black sleeves, red body. I don't know what exactly it is. I mean, I know that when she's taking a picture of Liberty and not Liberty of, um, of the losers at the end that it's a little, it might be a little bit clear what her shirt is, but like, I mean, overall she just, it's, it's not a good look. And I try not to like call her out for, for her various self-expression risks. She does take fashion risks. And I think that it, I'm just like wondering why I like we had to witness that. Um, it's not great. It's such full force. Yeah. It's I, I'm trying to go back on Tubi and because this is was going to it, it works so much better than HBO Max. I'm so sorry. Much better. Um, OK, I got it. All right. She has got this like L.A. shirt. It's like a weird Oh my gosh, her hair is so bad. Yeah. She's okay. I completely didn't realize she's got a little white flower in her hair. There's cr- so the hair she's got piled up on her head. She's got the ends of her hair masquerading as a bang. And then she's got the long part in the back crimped and it's just very voluminous. And she better hopes like no one takes a picture of her for the yearbook right because i love you ellie but like what the fuck about a loser also in what universe are four freshmen gonna be the cover of the fucking yearbook fair enough degrassi where we we don't pay attention to the grade tens yet we don't fuck those grade tens we don't give a fuck yep um but yeah, I mean that it was pretty scant, so I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so should we head on over to where the shots have been fired? Absolutely, dootly. Pew 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 pew. Shots fired. So we start out. We touched on it, um, but fucking Sean in the very first scene when Albert shows up, and Albert is like, Craig's like, "What are you doing here?" And Albert's like, "You know." I wanted to see my son and, you know, meet your friends. And Ashley, like, reaches over Sean to shake his hand and be like, I'm Ashley mm-hmm. Kerwin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, Dr. Manning, nice to meet you. And then he's like, looks at Sean and he's like, and you are? And Sean just, like, spits. Yeah. And gives yeah. him a look. And, like, it's enough that Albert is, like, awkwardly on. moves mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah. And it's great. It's it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Because Sean knows. Sean was there. Yeah. Sean's not fucking around with you, Albert. Um, But so for the B-plot in the first part of the episode, I have JT and Liberty sitting on the stairs uh, going over these flashcards in the front of the school. And JT tells her, oh, because Liberty's basically trying to ascertain what, um, you know, what he might like. For her to wear what color she'll wear to the dance and he says it's not even a date right he says it's not even and she's like i know it's not a real date i just want something you'd like and he clears his throat he says okay clears his throat and (laughs) says moving on (laughs) like never no no shot liberty um (laughs) um in the b plot in the second half um 
Jimmy's hassling Spinner, and Spinner's like, glad to see you still have your sense of humor. And Jimmy goes, yeah, you didn't get around to stealing that. Um, Jimmy is reasonably quite angry that his best friend stole his MP3 player. Yeah. Actually, mine, uh, so I'll switch around mine a little bit. So before that, Jimmy says, yo, cafeteria boy, better hurry. You're going to be late for work. Um, just before he says, you know, didn't get around to stealing that. And then uh, earlier in the B plot of the first episode, Paige said, uh, basically, this is JT's cleanup of trying to ask Paige to the dance and Liberty shows up because obviously um, he deflects or he saves his ass by asking Paige to help Liberty with her outfit. And Paige says, you know, for a second there, I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> like, oh, that would just be crazy, Paige. I think JT kind of says so he's like, ask you? No, Paige, no, I've never right. <laughs> um I love not a shot fired when he's like says that he's just he's having a great day or whatever. And she's like, Oh, that's great, sweet potato. Yeah. Yes, that's great. I love their relationship. <laughs> it's cute that, that she calls him sweet potato, yes. Um, I do not ship um, them, but I think that their friendship is very sweet. It's adorable. Um my next one is in the B plot. We're at the dance at this point, and mm-hmm. Paige says something about Jimmy and Hazel stealing their votes. And Jimmy says, Red, I don't have to steal anything tonight, but hey, maybe Spin could try. And that's a double shot fired. Mm-hmm. It sure is. He's, he's hot. He's on fire. <laughs> um, I have hazel's disgust at craig and ashley winning the crown like it's a visible she smelled poo poo face that she makes and it will be on the socials <laughs> i was gonna say yeah grab a screenshot of that if you haven't already yes it will be on the socials um and then i have jimmy's reacting to being allergic to the flowers and Paige says well at least you don't have a radioact- radioactive skin <clears throat> or a pumpkin for your date." <laughs> And my last one is Ellie saying, oh, losers, to get the, uh, the four of their attention, Jimmy, Spinner, Paige, and Hazel. And um, she snaps a photo, and then she says, I say yearbook, front cover. <laughs> I, and then we just established in, in fucking fashion. I mean, it's a shot fired. I'll include it. Shots fired to why you thought you shouldn't be in that loser photo right? with that fucking hair, Ellie. Jeez. Um, I had one more, which is actually early in the episode when Paige... Um, wants Hazel to notice that she went to the tanning salon and is like, you know, do you notice anything different? And Hazel's like, I think you're getting a pimple on your nose. <laughs> Real heroes don't wear capes, though, because you need to get ahead of that pimple right. as soon as possible. But, um, but yeah, those, I feel like we got a good amount of shots fired for this. Yeah, we had some good shots know, fired, honestly. Yeah, we're good. This was a zinger of an episode um a two-parter what have you but i you know now we can talk about giving out some awards our shining stars and super bummers for this two-parter yeah so i gotta give it to sean Sean, you know oh totally even though he's like it's so minor but it's sean is there and sean's got you and like sean i think there's like a point where Sean's like, you know, you're not going to go see him. And is a little indignant about it. But, like, Sean doesn't understand it. But also, he's not going to be, like, mad at you about it. 
Right. Um, and then I think Joey. Oh, totally. Totally, totally. And Bear. A, a shining star for me. And I, I want to give an honorable mention to Snake because I do like, we didn't really touch on it too much, um, but I do like how he kind of re... Um, just reworks his whole tone mm-hmm. and everything towards Craig. It's just like, oh, well, we weren't expecting you. And, you know, like he, he doesn't kind of double down on what he was saying. He doesn't let on that he just made an announcement or anything. Right. He just keeps rolling. And I do think that I, I appreciate Snake for that because everyone is really being super gentle towards Craig and trying to give him the room that he needs to express himself. And I just think it's so good. Right. It's Even so if good. he doesn't think that he's going to, that he should be there. Like he's not going to call him out in the middle of the class about it. Also not right. even honorable mention, but Ravage. Oh, totally not even honorable. He's, he's just on there. Yeah. He's just great. I think he active. I think he does more than snake. He definitely does more than snake in this episode, but I think that it's good to give Radich a chance to not just be like the hammer of, of, you know, of the principal. And, you know, like he's actually a person, like you can see how concerned he is for Craig. Yeah. And I just think he's such a good, and there was just so, and I mean, I, I really do appreciate. So out of all the, the, characters that craig knows it's um sean and emma at his father's funeral and i did take notice of emma being there. i didn't see emma being there i mean i know ashley was there yes. obviously emma was but there. i only yeah, saw she was sean. sitting with sean yeah she was sitting next to sean um because i only noticed it when he leaves and they kind of turn around uh when they you know they take him out of the joey takes him out of the um the church they give a shot of Emma sitting next to Sean and she's looking concerned. And I mean, not to say that makes her a, you know, super a shining star, but I just think that she's, I just appreciate when she's not getting on my nerves. Right. So shout her out for that. But yeah, I mean, um, super bummers. We've got a lot. I feel like that's it for shining stars. Yeah. I mean, obviously on the B plots, you know, fucking liberty and jt both and spinner and jimmy and Paige and Hayes, yeah yeah hazel's just there along for the ride she doesn't really make any decisions for me to feel like she bummed she didn't bum i mean she's real mad that craig got yeah she's pissed off that craig she's not even cute she wears black all the time she's just but yeah um totally and uh, obviously we're going to, I'm going to throw Craig's dad in there. He's a, he's a character as we have, I have established even yeah. though, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't come back. No, but this we, isn't like a tele, this isn't a telenovela. But, we get um, enough of him know. though to see yeah. that like, man, thank God for as far fetched as Degrassi ends up getting. They don't bring folks back. that were it supposed never to be comes dead quite to like, It's not passions. Yeah. No. So, I mean, yeah, I think that it's fair to, to put Albert in there. And it's not passions. We can totally cut you saying it's not cool. passions. I think it's fair to throw Albert in there. I think it's fair to throw those chuckleheads from the B-plot in. And, and Ashley. Um, I'm throwing Ashley and in. And Ashley. Ashley from the A-plot. She A for Ashley. She fucking sucks, man. She really does suck this episode. And she bummed me out so many times. So, yeah. She goes in. She's a super bummer. <laughs> she is. But, I mean, I really think that it's, like, we'll ask this question. But I think we already 
both know what the answer is on um does it, does go, it there? go there does it go there yes yes yeah like somebody dies <laughs> yeah this shit goes this shit goes hard guys like this shit goes hard it is one of the most i feel like an uh, early episode wise like the emotion for me it kind of it's neck and neck with when doves cry but it's just in a completely different way um and in a, in a different emotional vein as when doves cry it's a, well um, and that's one of the things too is like it's there's so much more to like being abused mm-hmm. than just the moments where your dad is beating you right and i think it really shows that definitely we get the we get a continuation of how that feels and what that character goes through and i think it's just it's so good and they do such a great job and i just really it it goes there so fucking hard and i think that there's just no question about that so this episode gave me fucking chills i sobbed it's it's a good one no i've cried a few times this season yeah, definitely. It's been a good season. And I mean, I think that's a good... And I like that we're like... <sighs> that the things that happen, like, yeah, the episodes that are about it are the ones that are about it, but, like, it doesn't exist in a vacuum the same way. Like, we don't really ever see any trauma, any residual trauma with the Emma thing from season one yeah you know i mean we've right. come to the conclusion that that's probably why she was so quick to like jump to the conclusion she jumped to with liberty and armstrong but yeah. there's no mention of emma's trauma beyond that episode it's really isn't. and we yeah, don't that's not the case with season two you know yeah they definitely do their work to try to give you arcs right and you even and then there are like even little things like there are definitely like drive is it's not the focal point of the episode but it is about the fact that craig is an abused kid who is now in a non-abusive home and figuring yeah out. um right no this episode goes there this episode fucking goes there a hundred a hundred percent um but yeah, I mean, I think that just being able to talk about this, you know, season and retrospect is where I'm excited to get to do that next week. So I think that's a good um, segue into any to end our episode. Thanks for listening to your mom's podcast. Please join us next week where our special guest, Bianca Melrose, a.k.a. Mother of the Pad, will be helping us dissect season two in our wrap up. This episode of Your Mom's Podcast was made possible in part by Real Ray's Fake Lays, Child Protective Services, and support from listeners like you. Thank you. If you'd like to further support our show, you can follow our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at YMPadcast and TikTok at Your Mom's Podcast. You can also visit our website at www.padcast.com. Your Mom's Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel so inclined, subscriptions and reviews are another great way to support the show. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash your mom's podcast. And remember, that's podcast. P-A-D.
H-D-C-A-S-T. Thank you. We would like to thank our Patreon subscribers, Abots, Margot Mancini, June Bard, Octavia Faith, and Alika Fenderson. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Ew, I hate how I said thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>